You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Face all your fears, then get at me. There's so many donuts on them back streets. Sit so high in the nosebleeds. Feel like I can fly. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, how you doing, man? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. New mic, new mic. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling clean. I'm feeling real nice right now. I know. You got the... You got the new yeah. mic. I got yeah. the new light. You know, we yeah. feeling we feeling good. Yeah, feeling good, good. You know what I mean? Little little some some little investment. Trying to you know put something in the pod. You know, trying to make things sound a little bit more clear, a little bit more fresh, a little bit more clean, a little bit more professional. <laughs> Absolutely, you'll see my light when it comes to overtime. But yes, you know, yes, you can hear yes. Corey's mic. But I mean, let's get into it. We got a load of NBA. I know we've been talking about NBA a lot. We're gonna get to the other it's sports the playoffs, soon, people. but it's a playoffs. It's the playoffs. Come on, we gotta talk about it. And there's been a lot of stuff going on in the playoffs, so we it's only right to talk about it. Plus, we got the second round coming up, so let's get into it. Let's talk about the first round, both in the Eastern and Western Conference. Let's start off with probably the latest thing, the one series that's still going on that's not over, the only series that's going on to Game 7, and that is the Clippers versus the Mavericks. We got Game 7. The Clippers are hosting the Mavericks on Sunday afternoon in a win or go home. And so far this series, every single road team has won. So that's been the trend so far. But me, I'm hoping that trend is broken on Sunday. <laughs> Fingers are crossed. But man, this series has been a hell of a series, probably the best series so far. And it's been all about the superstars of Kawhi Leonard and Luka Doncic. And I really don't see anything changing in game seven. So let's talk about the Mavericks first. What do they need to do to win in game seven, Corey? I think the things uh, that both these teams do well, neither of these teams can stop. Like when the Mavericks are on and they're hitting shots, especially hitting from three, it's just really tough to stop them because if you're the Clippers, I've been noticing the Clippers have been trying to obviously force somebody other than Luka to beat them. And fortunately for the Mavericks and Luka Doncic, Tim Hardaway has put on that cape and he is really showing out this series. And he's been like, yo, give me the ball. He's been just yakking and yakking Finney Smith as well. I mean, the Clippers really is realistically, I think in the game six did an okay job of defending them, but they got really fortunate because there was a lot of open threes that the Mavericks missed. There was a lot of good shots that they would have, you know, if, on another night, if it would have just bounced their way, Who's to say that this series could have got closed out tonight? But overall, I feel like the Mavericks, their main thing, their main focus has to be that they have to continue to show up on the defensive side of the ball. And I think Luka Doncic has to be more focused than ever in this game seven, because I felt like in game six, he was a little passive, which is understandable. He was trying to make the right play, trying to make the right decision, trying to find the open guy, get his teammates going. But I think in this game seven, he's going to know that when it's winner go home, 
So I got to be Luca. I got to I got to have that Luca magic going. And I think that uh, he's going to be aggressive from the get go. He's going to be aggressive from the jump. He's going to be looking to catch fire early, looking to frustrate the Clippers uh, defense. And I think if the Clippers hone in too much on him, that's going to free up other guys, free up his teammates. And if they start to get going, this could, this could be the Mavericks moving on. But ultimately, the way that they're going to win it is through the defensive side of the ball, hoping that the, the Clippers miss some shots and hoping that, you know, uh, Paul George or Kawhi Leonard just have a really bad night and uh, that they're able to pull off. I guess you could consider this maybe an upset because it's the four or five. But ultimately, I think that the Mavericks um, – you know, probably felt disrespected coming into this uh, series that a lot of people probably was kind of sleeping on them. But uh, after this series is over, regardless, win or lose, I think they gained a lot of respect. Absolutely. I think for the Mavericks, like you said, it. I think Luka has to maintain his aggression. In the fourth quarter of game six, he, feel, he seemed very reluctant to want to drive to the basket and get that easy bucket or get that foul. He was looking to pass more. And, I mean, the Clippers were doing a good job double teaming him and forcing other guys to beat him. But when they weren't, he was still looking to pass. There was a couple looks that he had where he had a wide open floater or like where he could have taken it to the rack for a layup and he chose to pass it. So uh, I, I think he just has to be a lot more aggressive in the winner go home. And I think he will. I think he knows what's on the line, what the stakes are. And I think he's going to put it all on the table. Um, even though if they win, they have a second series. I don't think he's going to try to conserve any of that energy. He's going to go all out. But the biggest thing for the Mavericks, I think it's Kristaps Porzingis. He needs to mm. wake up. He's acting like a 7-3 shooting guard who only wants to catch and shoot. He he really isn't a factor in the series at all. And the Clippers are thanking their lucky stars that he hasn't been. Um, credit to, I mean, their defense. But at the same time, I just feel like he's not aggressive. And from this, I mean, from this series, it's looking like it was the Tim Hardaway Jr. trade, not the Kristaps Porzingis trade between mm-hmm. the Mavericks and the mm-hmm. Knicks because Tim Hardaway Jr. is lighting it up. And I, I just feel like, he does this only against the Clippers. He shows out <laughs> only against the Clippers. Like this guy is literally looking like I'm, I'm going to say it. And he's looking like Steph. He's pulling up in dude's mitts and like it's great defense at times too. And when you leave him open, he's going to make you pay. So I don't know what the Clippers have done to him <laughs> or whatever the case may be, but he just goes off on the Clippers. Cause this was even back to last season and even in the, in the bubble and even this season, like he just, he just goes off against them. So you know who he reminds me of, like, what he's playing like right now? He's reminding me of uh, Denver Nuggets, J.R. Smith. Like, when J.R. Smith was, like, crazy, crazy like that, like, mm-hmm. he would, like he had that microwave, like, mentality where if he caught fire, it was like, God dang, this dude is just not, un- like, he's almost unguardable at times. So, I mean, it's kind of uh, crazy that, like, Tim Hardaway, you know, is he, he's having this moment in the spotlight. And like you said, he's kind of overshadowing the guy who's supposed to be the number two on this team and Chris Arpersingis. But I think the problem with Persingis is that the way that the, that the offense is being run is obviously through Luca. He's bringing the ball up. And as soon as he's bringing the ball up, when they get into that pick and roll action that they like to do, the Clippers are right away trapping the heck out of Luca and trying to force him to give up the rock. And Persingis is either just standing on the three point line or if he's the one setting the pick, he's already rolling to the basket. So, I mean, like, it's he barely even rolls to the basket. Exactly. I feel so, like I mean, he needs to because the thing is, being 7-3, we, we've seen it throughout this series, is he has a shorter defender on it. He'll shoot over him, and that mid-range will go in. So it's like, why not just stand at the top of the key after the roll or drive to the basket? I think it's also kind of difficult for him as well because everything is through Luka. So, I mean, like, it's not like they have – 
because they even run plays for Bobanovich, like, uh, like Bog- yeah. Bogdanovich. I'm sorry, like, Marjanovic, Mar- Boban, <laughs> sorry, Boban, Boban Marjanovic. Marjanovic. Yeah, they were running plays for him. So yeah. I mean, like, they were running a lot of action for him. And I mean, it makes sense because you got the advantage side. You got Marcus Morris guarding him. So I mean, that to me, Kristoff should be kind of like looking at that and trying to like not impose his will necessarily. But if you got a shorter defender on you, I think you should be having some sort of action or the Mavericks should maybe try to get some sort of action that, you know, at least takes the pressure a little bit off Luca, because I know Tim Hardaway is doing his thing. Finney Smith is doing his thing as well. But if both of those guys or either one of those guys don't have a good night on Sunday, then that's definitely plays into the hands of the Clippers. And so you need somebody else who's going to be available and ready and capable of stepping up to either come off the bench or be able to just provide some level of a spark because we know that there's a lot of different players for the Mavericks that can get hot or can make shots, but who's going to be able to go out and get a bucket? Cause I'm not talking about just being able to hit from the outside or just be able to hit shots. There's some guys that are just different. And I think that Przingis ever since he really got injured and ever since he's really been in Dallas, he just has not been that same player. So I got to give a shout out to the Knicks. I mean, people were saying it was crazy at the time that they traded him, but he really has not been the same player since he had gotten injured for New York. Well, you also got to remember he tore his ACL there and then he tore his meniscus last year in the bubble facts, as well, too. So facts, facts. If, if anyone coming from me, knee injuries really <laughs> have a way to mess with your psychology they when do. playing the game, and especially in an explosive game like basketball. So that's tough. All right, let's move on to the Clippers. As for the Clippers, what do they need to do to win game seven? I mean, it's pretty much simple. I mean, I feel honestly that they should have won game five, but they kind of let that one get away and let that one slip. But, you know, you can't dwell on the past. You got to dwell only on the present and the future. So I feel like their biggest issue really realistically is the fact that they have they get off to these slow starts. And they allow, like, they allow, they allow the Mavericks to build up like a nine, a seven, a ten point lead on them, and then you playing from behind all game. And if we know anything, playing from from behind is already hard in itself. But if you already got a gap that you got to cut, and then then you're trying to make up for that deficit, and then just to get back into the game, you already expended so much energy, and then it's like it's it's just difficult. I think also the Clippers really need to take more advantage when Luca's not on the floor, because I've seen so many different times where it's like Luca's not on the court, and the Mavericks have been when they're when they've been on the road either maintaining the lead. Or, you know, not allowing it to get out of hand. So that way, when he comes back, they still have a bit of a cushion to play with when they've been on the road in, in the Staples. So I think that the Clippers, realistically, they have to play cool, man. They can't let this pressure get to them because this will be another, you know, this will be just like last season all over again. And I think that they realistically have to come into this game playing carefree basketball. And I think they have to look to their leaders in the locker room. This is where Rondo needs to be talking this is where Beverly needs to be talking this is where guys need to step up and let you know them know like hey look this is where we got to play our best basketball for 40 minutes 48 minutes plus you know it might even need to go beyond 48 minutes but we got to play our best basketball this game right here right now because we cannot afford to get bounced out this early like it's just unexcusable but um as long as Kawhi is doing what he does Paul George is doing what he does they cannot afford for the Mavericks to go on 
spurts and crazy runs where they're just knocking three after three after three. They got to close out on shooters, run them off the three-point line, force somebody else then look Luca to beat you. And pretty much plain and simple, they got to get stops, rebounds, and they got to hit their shots. They got to hit their shots and take full advantage of when you go to the free throw line. You're the best free throw shooting team in the league. Make your free throws. Yeah, absolutely. That was one thing that I was literally pulling my hair out when I was watching game six. But for the Clippers, I think Kawhi has got to be aggressive. Kawhi, whatever he has left in the tank, I still think he has a lot left in the tank. Um, And so I think he's just got to be aggressive. Paul George, he cannot wait till the fourth quarter to wake up (laughs) because he was atrocious the first three quarters of game six. Fourth quarter, luckily, he did show up. He made big shots for them, so that helped. But I think the biggest, biggest, biggest person that needs to wake up is Marcus Morris on the offensive end. He, I've, I've said this numerous amount of times, fourth best three-point shooter in the league in the regular season, and he is struggling in a big way, missing. And, and it's been a detriment for the Clippers because the Mavericks are leaving him open and they're fine to leaving him open or closing out kind of subtly on him and forcing him to shoot. And he hasn't been making him pay. So I think if Marcus Morris can get back to regular season, Marcus Morris, the Clippers win without a doubt. Cause I think he's that big of a difference maker for them. He is that number three option for them. So it's tough and that he, he just needs to wake up, but defensively, I will say he has done a phenomenal job. On Boban having a guy who's damn near twice his size and just <laughs> forcing Boban to take tough shots. And then on, on, at the end of that, at the fourth quarter, he was tasked with guarding Luca on the switches because he was guarding the big man. And he did a hell of a job on Luca in that fourth quarter. So he just needs to maintain that and keep it up. And I think for the Clippers, the biggest thing is they got to stop turning the ball over. Yeah. The reason why they were down so much and for so long in game six is because they turned the ball over like crazy, crazy, crazy. And what happened when they stopped turning it over, they started to get that lead. Kawhi caught on fire. The other guys started to make their shots. So I think if they can just maintain possession and take care of the ball, they have a very good chance of winning the game. And this is crazy. I was actually reading that the Clippers only had four bench points in game six, mm. and they all came in the fourth quarter. So mm. and and I I appreciate Ty Lu so so much for his rotation because I'm gonna I'm gonna bash Doc Rivers all the time when it comes to the Clippers, but Luke Kennard who had only played like three minutes and that was like in Game Three when they were up by twenty or thirty. He that was the only time he played, and I mean, it, he forced Luke Kennard to come in into the second quarter and in the fourth quarter because they were leaving shooters open because the Clippers just couldn't shoot the ball well, open shots well. So they said, all right, we're gonna put one of our best shooters in the game. And we're going to make you pay. And he he didn't make them pay. But at the right. same time, he stretched the defense exactly. out, allowing the inside to open up like crazy. Because if you look at game five, the paint was so clogged with Kawhi. And that's why Kawhi struggled very badly because he was trying to get to the paint. He had four dudes swarm on, on, in on him. And he was reluctant to pass it because no one's making their damn shots. Yeah. So so I think Ty Lue, shout out to him for making that adjustment. And even the first substitute that he made this game was Terrence Mann, mm-hmm. not Rondo, not uh, not Zubak, none of that. It was Terrence Mann because of the d- job Terrence Mann has been doing um, on both sides of the ball. So, I mean, shout out to Ty Lue for his rotations. But, I mean, what, what the main thing for the for the Clippers is their defense turning to offense because there's been times where they – and even in game five, they were down 10 points, I think, and they stopped the Mavericks eight straight possessions in a row. Yeah. And they couldn't convert. They only got within like five points 
in yeah. eight possessions. So that's they, been, yeah, that's been they the need to do a better series. job to flip that defense offense. Because it's like you said, the, the Clippers, they have, I think, more of a well-rounded team as far as they have a little bit more depth than I think the Mavericks do. The thing that's been frustrating for the Clippers is that they get stops, but they can't score off them. And then the Mavericks, they just been hitting shots for a lot of these games. And like, tough look, shots too. They've been hitting a lot of tough shots. And I think another thing also that the Clippers have to, have to do, and you saw it a lot in this game, they got to frustrate Luka, man. Like seeing Luka complain to the referees and just, you know, constantly just be like, you know, you know, wondering why this isn't a foul, why that's enough. I'm like, dude, like, I think them, the refs allowing the game to play. I hope that they officiate it the same sort of way in game seven and just let them play. And, you know, I hope it's not whistle crazy because Luca is a guy I call him the I call him, you know, the white version of James Harden for a reason, because the dude literally he reminds me so much of early days in Houston, James Harden, where he was relying on what? Yes. The the yes. Yes. Yeah. Getting getting fouls and going through the free throw line because, you know, like, look, he can do he can, you know, give you that one on one business and, you know, knock shots and, you know, cross you over. I mean, damn, like the way he did Nicholas Platoon was just dirty. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. But but but. My thing is that that's all fine and dandy in the regular season. And that, you know, is cool. Like maybe the first round of the playoffs, but is that something that can be sustainable going forward? And I just don't necessarily know if that's the case, but, and like I said, with Luca, you have to frustrate him. If he is, you know, getting double teamed, if he's, you know, getting pushed around, knocked around, he's getting more worried about the contact. He's getting more worried about the physical play. And that I think subconsciously is kind of, you know, messing with his game. Because he even even though he had 29 tonight, it was a quiet 29. Uh, it was a quiet 29. He only hit, I think, one three-pointer the exactly. entire game. Exactly. And that was and not doubt, until the fourth quarter. And I doubt that's going to happen in game seven. I'm expecting him to go crazy. But I'm just saying, if Luka goes crazy, you can't have Tim Hardaway go crazy, Finney Smith go crazy. Like, if Luka goes crazy, fine. But you can't have the others as well get crazy. Because, like, it's like, you know, people say, like, you don't necessarily – you know, win a series solely based off your star player. You know, your star player can, you know, push you over the top and help you win, but you win the series based off the fact that your team, you know, those other guys who are your role players, they showed out and they did their role and even went above and beyond and did a little extra that you weren't expecting. Like Reggie Jackson tonight, the Lakers, I mean, sorry, the Clippers don't win if Reggie Jackson doesn't play the way that he played. Bobby Schmurda. Yeah, he went off this game, man. So, so that's what I'm saying. And I doubt that he'll have another game like this. Um, but if you get another player that's a role player that steps up, like you said, whether it's Morris, whether it's uh, Canard off the bench, wh- whoever it is, if you have just a guy like that, it makes you just – it has a different element. And it not only gets them going, it also gets your star going because it gives them more confidence that I can give you the rock because you'll you know keep making shots, keep making good plays. So overall, I cannot wait for this game seven. I think this game seven is going to be humongous for not only both the teams, but, you know, there's some there's some potential stuff on the line as far as like with uh, the Clippers stars oh, more so, I think, with the, the with Luca, because I think like if the Clippers get bounced out in the first round. I think more than anything, they go right back into being everybody like the joke of the NBA, which is like low hanging fruit to me because there's been a lot that's happened this entire season, but it's just like, it's because it's on national TV. It's because it's the Clippers. It's because of their history. And it's because of what happened last season in the game seven, the Clippers got to win this one. They got to win this one. 
Absolutely. And I think they do that by staying aggressive on both sides and not and, and bothering the Mavericks, honestly. I think that's how they win game seven this series. We'll see. All right, let's move on to the latest uh, series that ended, and that is the Lakers losing to the Suns in six games. The Sun prevail and beat the Lakers in six, just as Chris Paul tweeted out when he got hacked. I don't know if you guys <laughs> saw that, but Chris Paul got hacked big time, and in one of his tweets he said Suns in six. So, hey, maybe that was him tweeting. Maybe that was the hacker. But, yeah, I think my, my preseason champions are out uh, in the Lakers. Um, but I mean, the story of this entire series was injuries game five, no Anthony Davis game six, pretty much no Anthony Davis. He didn't make it past the five minute mark with his growing injury. And then, uh, in game six, Devin Booker just went off 47 points going (laughs) eight for 10 from three. Yes. He just went berserk. And I don't know if it was that Graham Buick that he uh, pulled up in to the (laughs) game or what it was, but I mean, he, he smelt blood in the water and he was a man on the mission. So this is LeBron's actually, this is his first time in his 18 year career losing in the first round. So people are saying that it's crazy, but I think that's something to, not necessarily be proud of, but something to hang your hat on. Like, damn, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, mean, I don't think we'll ever a, see this yeah. ever again type yeah. of thing. Yeah, the fact that he's, you know, been so consistent in the playoffs and has had so much success in uh, his career, especially when it comes, you know, when it matters most in the postseason, just speaks volumes to the fact that he's an all-time great, you know, regardless of how you feel about it, regardless, you know, what you, you know, think about his, you know, certain things that he does. I mean, it is what it is. But ultimately, I cannot be on the bandwagon of people that are bashing LeBron or criticizing LeBron or criticizing the Lakers for losing the series because they have a, you know, they have an excuse. Anthony Davis was injured and even LeBron James was injured. But what I will say is Laker fans, Laker fans, you know, all I'll say is this, is that isn't it interesting how funny the year started? where everybody, you know, pretty much crowning y'all and and, and and y'all having expectations of going back to back. And now we have ended up here getting bounced out in the first round of the playoffs and a season in which y'all had to go and play in the play-in tournament just to make the playoffs. Who would have so, thought? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But I want to say this is that the Lakers have got a major situation as far as this offseason. And I think one of the things that, you know, kind of set them back uh, going into this season was the lack of preseason and the complete overhaul of their roster. I mean, on paper, it looked like a genius move and it looked like they made a lot of good moves on paper. But I said it like the reason that the Clippers had such a malfunction and such a bad time, you know, being able to be the team that on paper should have at least gotten to a Western Conference finals last year was the fact that they had chemistry issues. And I said that the Lakers, you know, what if the Lakers have chemistry issues? I was just throwing it out there. I I, I mean, you know, I was just theorizing, throwing it out there. But it was the injuries that really hurt them at the end. And I think that was lack of preseason. I think that was the lack of offseason. And I think that was uh, just the fact that, you know, it takes – so much strain on your body to make it to the finals. And then after you make it to the finals, you get strained from straight away, the grit and grind of the regular season. And then you get all the way to the very end of this season. And so, I mean, it was just a lot, a lot, a lot that was weighing on the Lakers. And to be honest with you, the same way that I'm not going to criticize, you know, LeBron for, you know, getting, 
uh, bounced out in the first round is the same way that I think we have to put in context a lot of times when guys lose in the first round. I mean, instead of just looking at it like the headline, oh, this player lost in the first round, this team loses in the first round, it's like how many injuries did they go through? Like, you know, we have to put it in the proper context. So I feel that this season for the Lakers is ultimately a failure because it wasn't, you know, they didn't win the championship. But I think in the context of the situation, they, you know, realistically were fortunate to have gotten two games off of Phoenix. They were realistically fortunate to um, have been in the position that they were in. And I think ultimately they just ran out of gas and you saw it in that fourth quarter, LeBron, he literally had the ass to be taken out. And once he asked to be taken out, I knew like any chance of comeback for the Lakers, very slim to none chance. They already had a slim chance as it was with no AD, but once he asked to be taken out, I knew, yeah, he's done. But shout out Chris Paul, knocking off your homie, knocking off your homie, man. Chris yeah. Paul, only the only dude, I think, out of the banana boat crew, out of D-Wade and Carmelo, to be able to knock LeBron out in the playoffs. And it happens to be the first time it happened in the first round. So Chris Paul, Chris Paul, Chris Paul. <laughs> the MVP of this season, undoubtedly. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, well, yeah, let, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think every excuse that Laker fans come up with and the narrative that it is, I think they are all very valid. I extremely valid the injuries for sure the the shortened off season for sure the lack of cohesiveness for sure I think they're all valid but you still lost and you have to accept it and I I think that's something that Laker fans it's kind of tough for them to do but this was the Clippers I would this was the Clippers (laughs) everybody would be going in that's what I'm saying like right now even if even if Paul George was injured Kawhi was injured it wouldn't matter. Oh, they absolutely. Like, they would still be making jokes about the Clippers. So I'm like, well, I'm waiting because the... if y'all got that energy for, you know, one L.A. team, keep that same energy with the other L.A. team, too. Well, I'm just waiting that the, they're kind of gone into their shells right now. Little Hermits oh, yeah. after. And then if the Clippers lose game seven, they'll, oh, they'll be they back come. out. They'll here be back out come. of their shells. So because there was a little insurrection. I don't know if you see. I mean, Snoop Dogg was getting laker fans pissed off when he posted a, a photoshop picture anthony davis is mr glass yeah he is that I was mean, he is that that photo literally when i saw that on socials i was like yo that's the most disrespectful thing <laughs> i don't care that's one of the most disrespectful things that i've seen people go around and calling you mr glass hey, I, I love snoop though he keeps it yeah. so real <laughs> and then charles barkley called anthony Davis street clothes i'm like yo i saw something like, online it said anthony date to davis <laughs> yo see and that's what bad. i think i think honestly that's why he played in in game six i don't think anthony davis would have played in game six if he hadn't been going through that level of i guess you could say abuse but that's where I go back and forth on. I'm like, it's oh, like the just like the Dennis Schroeder IG profile right, thing, right. <laughs> putting exactly. it back on. <laughs> exactly. So here's my thing: is like, because everybody's been saying, at some point or another, his injury history, Anthony Davis, that is, is on him, and he needs to figure out something in order to, you know, get his body right, take care of his body, invest more in his body, invest, invest, you know, take care of your body because you clearly have an injury problem, injury history, and now it's on you. And I guess I keep going back and forth because I'm like, he is a seven footer and he is a big man. And I mean, for the most part, you know, we know bigs do get, you know, in trouble as far as the injuries go. But at the same time, I do understand people that want to say that, like, look, if you're going to be, the face of this franchise being the Lakers, 
if you're going to be the guy on this team that, you know, takes over when LeBron leaves or when he retires, whatever, what have you, then you cannot afford to be missing over half or, you know, too many games in the season because they need you. They need you in order to win a championship in order to, you know, have a top seed, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I have two scenarios for the whole big man thing that like big men getting injured. First one is you have Joel Embiid, a guy mm-hmm. who's 280 pounds, is an amazing, a, a phenomenal player, but doesn't choose to, I wouldn't say doesn't choose to take care of his body, but in a sense, he kind of doesn't like he could lose weight easily and be even more dominant force by staying on the court longer. And then you have a guy like Nikola Jokic who does lose the weight and look what he's doing. He's having an MVP type season and carrying his team, which we'll get into a bit, but like you have two situations. So I think the whole seven footer thing, I mean, yeah, it's a history like that seven footers and stuff. They do get injured more, but I don't think that's a valid enough excuse. I think there's something going on internally with Anthony Davis that he just needs to figure it out. Cause this is the same conversation. I feel like we have every single year with him mm-hmm. getting injured again and again. Mm-hmm. But I think for the Lakers, with as for LeBron, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think age age is finally catching up to him, and you hate yeah. to see it. But yeah. like you said, he was asked to get subbed out in the second half. He wasn't getting back on defense, and it looked like he just straight up gave up in that fourth quarter. I think so. he kind of realized the writing was on the wall. He knew. Oh, like, absolutely. We're not, we're not coming back. So I mean, absolutely. Like, but I mean, as a Laker fan, if you're a Laker fan, that's not the not way. What you want to see? That's not what you want to see. <laughs> and just in general, like you already, your hopes are down. You like you see AD going out and you're like all right then the game's over and then they cut it to less than a 10 point game and you're getting your hopes up so for laker fans i feel like it's not fair just because anthony davis got injured basically didn't play the last two games of the series when the series was tied two to two and then the role players on top of that were nowhere to be found and lebron giving up at the end so but isn't it interesting though because not to cut you off but danny green is going (laughs) to the next round uh I saw people I saw people saying I saw people saying that they would take Danny Green back. (laughs) And isn't isn't that is going to the next round. Dwight Howard is going to like all the key role players that helped them win a championship a season ago are going to the second round. LA's not. And so that's what I'm saying. Did Rob Palenka maybe overreach on his hand and maybe he should have resigned at least one of JaVel or Dwight Howard, because I feel like that was a safety net. That but you- I mean, I mean, hindsight I 2020, hindsight 2020, because yeah, exactly. look at all of us. We were all picking the Lakers to win the championship. So it's like on paper, that's what I'm saying. So hindsight's 2020. But I feel like no team or fan base should be like would wants to go out like that. So but honestly, it's not all that terrible when you want a championship last season. So, I mean, it's not like you're in this gigantic drought from like 2010 to like not win a, a NBA championship. So they just won one. So I think they're not like, obviously they're disappointed, but they can't be that disappointed. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah, I get you. But um, it was crazy. Is this is the first NBA finals since 2010 with no LeBron or Steph Curry. Think about that. <laughs> yeah. But I want to, I want to talk about the Lakers real quick, their off season that's coming up for them. Cause I think this is going to be one of their biggest off seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, Lakers have $102 million tied up next season in LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, and KCP. So they don't have too much money to work around bu- building a supporting cast around their two st- superstars. And they have notable free agents in Andre Drummond, Dennis Schroeder, Taylor Horton Tucker, Caruso, and possibly Montrezl Harrell if he declines his player option. So with that being said, I just, I'm just i just going to go on a little loo, but I think it's very noticeable they lack that third option this mm-hmm. series. And they mm-hmm. had that opportunity to get it in Kyle Lowry. 
We mm. talked about getting Kyle Lowry, and I think they asked for Dennis Schroeder and Tone Horns Tucker, and they said no. Mm-hmm. They said no. But I guarantee you, looking at it now, they would have taken that <laughs> trade for sure. They should. They who were knows? Take who that. knows? Who knows? I think because I think I think because I think, I think next season, come next season, you cannot rely on LeBron and AD to play. Thirty-seven. Every game. He'll be thirty. No, but even Anthony Davis, but yeah. even if they're even if they are healthy, they're gonna load manage and they have to load manage if they yeah. wanna Especially make the, the playoffs. Exactly. So I mean, when they load manage, who's gonna be that third option that's gonna step up? And Schroeder is clearly not the option, as we saw in this playoff series. He's proven to be a good player, but he's not really that third option. So I think this offseason they need to go out and get, you know a Kyle Lowry, a DeMar DeRozan, and uh, Victor Oladipo, who is injury prone. So I don't know if you want that added on top or like a Derrick Rose type of way. A guy who has had experience being a number one option before and knows what it's like to put a team on their back and carry them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get you. Um, I think one of the crazy things was when the Heat assembled, everybody forgets there was times where both D-Wade and LeBron would be out for a game or two or a few games or so. And Chris Bosh would have to put the team on his back for, you know, parts of the regular season or have to, you know, or they would trade off. Like, you play this game or you play that, you know, whatever the case may be. And Bosh had experience from Toronto. Exactly. And he was a number one option. Again, didn't have, you know, the success as a number one option. But I think that's what's great about the NBA is, is that your whole career, you get to have that option to, develop your game and if you have that chance to become a star player or a franchise level player you get to see what you are able to be then if you are able to have that chance to go and team up with somebody or be on a you know quote-unquote super team or whatever I think that you know gives you that freedom like the Brooklyn Nets to be like hey I got Kyrie I got KD or I got James Harden and I got you know Kyrie Irving I don't have to do too much. I just got to play within the flow of uh, our offense and play within our, myself and not have to, you know, extrinuate so much energy on yeah. both ends of the court that by the time we get halfway through the series, I'm like, yeah, well, I'm done. So, yeah. so yeah, I think the Lakers definitely need that third guy. It doesn't have to be a big name, but it definitely has to be somebody who has experience as far as, like you said, being at least a number one, Hell, you could even get a number two option, I think. But no, it's gonna I be... think I think they have to have experience as a number one guy. I think okay. they have to be okay. like that. And, and I... that's why I said a guy like Derrick Rose, like obviously he's far from his Bulls days. But yeah, we clearly saw what he did with the Knicks this mm-hmm. postseason. And he'll be available. He'll be exactly. available. So I think I think like you said, this offseason will be very telling as to where the Lakers will be for not just next season, but going forward, because realistically, you're if you're the Lakers, you know that you are invested heavily into Anthony Davis. You can't just, you know, you know, say goodbye, like, oh, we don't want to deal with this anymore. Like, you, that's your guy. That is your man. So you kind of have to ride with them. Now, I think what's going to be key for them is can they pair him up with somebody who can play well with him and can uh can 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 find chemistry with their game alongside him cuz I'm not even thinking about LeBron. Laker fans shouldn't even think about like, you know, what LeBron's going to be there, but he's going to do him. Regardless of they win or lose, he's going to do him. You got to remember that LeBron before he he sprained his ankle, he was in the MVP conversation. Right, so exactly. LeBron still had it. So I just and think so, if he gets this long yeah. rest, yeah. he could go back to his old form. Exactly. And I think also, but you I think if you're the Lakers, you can't be like depending on that so I think you should yeah, definitely what, be trying mm-hmm. to look to go out, get somebody who has that veteran level experience and then be able to take a lot of the pressure off 
because Kuzma's not it, man. I'm sorry. I'm not Absolutely not to not. be mean, but you know, he's not it as a third. You, you actually third sounded option. you sounded nice right there compared to what I've seen. I know, <laughs> I know. So so it's just it's like look, I think uh Laker fans are probably looking at Brandon Eager right now and wishing that they still had him, to be honest with you. But hey, you know, who's to say maybe Kuzma, you know, maybe he develops into something, but hey, I mean, hey, right now. <laughs> I, I you can't even that say that shit with a straight face. I think they had to go in a different direction and try to take the pressure off the young guy because that's a lot of pre- like people don't understand. Well, that's like, that's Lakers, what happens with LA. It's with the Lakers, man. They expect greatness every. They expect to win a championship every year. It's just so unrealistic. But I mean, look, look, you know, like perfect example. I don't mean to cut you off. Is yeah, Lonzo mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't yeah. shine bright. Ingram mm-hmm. couldn't shine bright. Kuzma. Now we're seeing it now. And then Jordan Clarkson, D'Angelo Russell. Julius Randle, like look, look that, at all of those guys now. Yeah. Now that they're out of LA, I bet you, if you ask a Laker fan if you would rather have any of the guys you just mentioned on on their team right here, right now, they would probably say, "Yeah, I'll take maybe a couple of those guys." Oh yeah, they, they would take a couple of those guys right now, and I think they would have been a better. But hey, that's the thing; they couldn't be patient enough to wait to see them blossom and. I think honestly, playing with the Lakers as a young player is so much pressure that it doesn't allow for you to grow. It kind of puts a lot more unnecessary pressure on you to be great right away instead of you know allowing you to develop. And you know, Laker fans, they're not, you know, they've been patient as far as waiting for that championship, but they're not trying to see, you know, you know, back to the old days of the lottery and stuff like that. But anyway, but be, let's, let's let's you know to to be honest, if I was a Laker fan, I would wouldn't be like, damn, I wish I still had those guys. I would be like, if we still had those guys, are we getting that championship from last year? Nah, I don't think so. Exactly. So they it's to like I'm gonna those, they had to give exactly. them, to give up those guys in order to get AD. So. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. If I'm a Lakers fan, I'm I'm content with letting them be where they are. We got our championship last year. And who's chalk the might, season might, up as an L and come back next year. And who's to say they might pick up, you know, one of them guys in free agency or something like that, or, or you know, try to bring, yeah. you know, something, we'll old, see. something we'll old see. back, but you know, we'll see. But yeah. All right, let's move on. We got the Grizzlies losing to the jazz after the Grizzlies won game one against the jazz without Donovan Mitchell. The jazz came back with Donovan Mitchell and swept them the rest of the series. So this, this was really a Donovan Mitchell and John Morant performance, amazing series. They put on a show for the fans and jaw Morant. I want to focus on him because in his first playoff series ever, he went off. First of all, had to play 40 minutes a game. And then on top of that, he averaged 30 points a game, five rebounds a game, and eight assists on 49-32-78 shooting splits. For a guy who went up against the team with one of the best defenses, with the best NBA record in his first playoff series, at the age of 21, <laughs> I, I, I clap it up for him because he, ha- no he, doubt, did, no he did an amazing job. But what was your thoughts on John Morant and the Grizzlies' uh, first playoff series in a while? Because a lot of these young guys on this team, this is their first playoff experience. You hit it right on the before I can even say it. You, you said it right there for me. I mean, like when I think of a team like the Grizzlies, uh, they're that young up and coming team. And it's not like they came out of nowhere. They were right in the situation last season. They could have easily been in the playoffs if it wasn't for Dame. <laughs> but but hey, you know, they made it this time. And I think this is good, regardless of how you look at it, them, you know, getting gentlemen swept. Uh, because of Donovan Mitchell, it just shows you the levels of the NBA and it shows you the levels in the Western Conference because, like I just mentioned, with them getting knocked out of the playing tournament by Damian Lillard, same thing happened this year, essentially. They got knocked out by Donovan Mitchell. 
And it's not to say like it was just Donovan Mitchell, but the difference maker was Donovan Mitchell. The difference maker last year was Damian Lillard. So I think with a young team like this, as you take those early lumps and, you, you know, go through those trials and tribulations, you're hoping that your marquee guys like your Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, like your John Morant's, like maybe your Dylan Brooks, depending on, you know, if the situation is right. But Dylan Brooks think, went off. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, like they have a nice, really nice young team, a really nice young team. I think uh, their situation is, is that they're going to have to, they're obviously going to roll, roll it out and, you know, bring the same team back. Cause essentially they got everybody um, still under contract uh, and they're bringing, I think the only person that they might be able to lose is justice Winslow. He's the only one that's like a free agent for them. Um, but other than that, I think they're going to roll, roll it out with the same unit. And I think this offseason is going to be interesting for John Morant because, like you said, the dude put up numbers. The dude was doing his thing. He got better think, as the season progressed. Exactly, exactly. He definitely got better. And I think he definitely improved his shot throughout the season, I think. And, I and think, was it was it you who said that we sh- could be talking about is John yeah, a better pick o- over yeah, Zion? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, damn, I think, he, he might have showed it this I, this uh, playoff series. I think I – think, um, he he's gonna cause a lot of people to to I, I can't wait to see those headlines by the way because I'm a, I'm gonna just be there sitting there and be like I knew Told this was coming so. <laughs> I knew this was coming so yeah I, I'll probably give it another year or two just because like the Zion hype kind of di- yeah I give it because like, Zion had a hell of a season you right, can't knock but him. The, the hype is kind of dying down a little bit because they haven't been around late in the seat in late in you know the season and they haven't been able to even make it to the play in yet so until he gets to the playoffs I think the hype is kind of down a little bit but like going back to the grizzlies the thing i like about them is that they remind me so much of the warriors as far as like that young team coming up through the ranks not not saying they are uh, let me clarify they're no, not no, no, I, I i get no, you no, 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 no. i'm just saying for those who don't understand because whenever you say that people will be like oh what? no nah, they're not the warriors <laughs> okay they're not the warriors from 2014-15 they're not the warriors that i remember i'm just saying i remember when steph and clay were were you know, getting together and they were finding that chemistry and they were building their stuff with the ranks and they were getting that respect. John that's Morant when that's when up. David Lee was the number one option still. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, they're the Grizzlies are definitely not the grindhouse grizzlies no more. It's now more Gasol, it's no more Zebo, but it's now Jaron Jackson and it's now John Morant. They still got that grit, they still got that toughness, they still got that identity, and I think they have established themselves as a as a unit now. And I think um, what they're going to have to do is this off season is use what they learned in this first round matchup, albeit against the number one overall seed and use that as motivation going into the off season to be like, I don't want to be going home after the first round. I want to be continuing playing. I want to play in the next and the second round. And so to do that, I think obviously with your, your top player, he cannot, because one of the things that kind of made me a little nervous when he got before he got drafted, he said his favorite player that he kind of modeled the game after was Russell Westbrook. Now, Grizzlies fans, take that how you will, but <laughs> it's, but if you want John Morant to be better than Russell Westbrook, he's gonna have to develop a consistent three point jumper. It's not to say that he can't shoot, I think he can shoot, but he has to develop a consistent three point jumper because we saw in the playing tournament. The Warriors were just backing off and just allowing him to shoot, but he mm-hmm. was making them pay that game. So he has to be able to do that 
so that defenders can't just sack off so that they can't give him the Ben Simmons treatment or they can't give him, you know, just uh, that disrespect and just sack off of him like that. Because, look, as a young player, you thrive off your athleticism. You thrive off of your body being able to just go, 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 uh, keep going. But as you start to develop and start being in this league more and more and more, you start having to get craftier and you start having to, you know, outwit your opponents. Look at Chris Paul. The dude's still been in the league this long and he still continues to frustrate opponents, not just, you know, because he's, you know, Chris Paul, but he's out thinking, out smarting and out coaching a lot of the coaches on the opposite end. And yeah. so uh, I think that's what John Morant needs to do if he wants to take his game to the next level. And he wants to be up there with the top, not only guards in the West, but guards in this league. Mind you, he's only 21. So it's, it's, not, it's not it's not a cause for concern right now. If not anything. If anything, I think they chalked the season up as a W. But like you were saying, this three-point shot, he was 32% from three-point this series. So it's definitely something he's going to have to work on. But for me, I'm going to call these guys the grit and grind 2.0 Grizzlies because I like them. I like I them a too. lot. But I do think they are a piece away from taking the next step. And call me crazy. Call me crazy. I think they're one piece away from being contenders. I think nah, that, that's not crazy at all. I that's think they crazy. have the chance to be contenders and they because have think the, about the, it. Milwaukee had the same similar situation. Like they were just like, you know, waiting to be a piece away too. Yeah. And I think with this team, they're very fortunate that they have a lot of guys still on rookie contracts. So they need to make the most of that. And whether that is to get a guy on a one or two year deal, like, I don't know, maybe a CJ McCollum, if that's the case or something like that. That's the dude but, I was literally thinking of. They should but, try to maybe try to pull him in yeah because they have guys like uh brandon clark who i'm a big fan of and he balled out for them his rookie season was looking like a steal but he kind of worked like this way out of the rotation this uh season so they have a lot of pieces on the bench that they could or that are expendable i should say but talking about john moran he's proven that he can definitely carry a team and isn't shy from the bright lights in the nba playoffs which is at the age of 21 that's what you absolutely love to see if you're a grizzlies fan and now that the young Grizzlies and John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, and their other guys, they have tasted the playoffs. And I think the future is bright for them, absolutely bright. So, like I said, all these guys are on rookie contracts. So, maybe getting that number two option, I'm not saying that Dylan Brooks is or isn't because he kind of showed that he could be a number two option, mm-hmm. but I'm not saying he is. So, if they can get a solid maybe guard or wing player who can play both ways offense and defense, but can get you at least 20 points a game uh, that I think via trade or free agency, probably through trade because Memphis mm-hmm. is a small market team. Mm-hmm. I think they could be well on their way to give these Western conference powerhouse teams some trouble. So that's why I got to say about the Grizzlies. Let's move on. We got the Trailblazers and the Nuggets. This was probably one of the best back and forth series, probably outside the Clippers Mavericks um, in the playoffs, because each game they were literally going back and forth with the lead. They were trading wins with each other, but ultimately the Nuggets prevailed and Jokic showed the world and Corey. I just got to say that he has what it takes to carry an NBA team. Sorry, I had to throw you under the bus. No, 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 no. No, because I was thinking the whole series exactly. I was like, wow, this dude is really doing it. Okay, He's insane. But let's let's talk about the Blazers side of things. Dame can carry a team, but only to a certain extent. And in the Mm -hmm. last five years, the Blazers have been first round exits four out of those five times. The one time that they weren't was when they went to the conference finals, both swept by the Warriors. So the Trailblazers have to be the second most disappointed fan base in the NBA, I, in, <laughs> in my opinion. 
I think you guys know who the number one fan, most disappointed fan base is. Do you know who, who I'm talking about, Corey? Who? It's got to be the Clippers. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be the Clippers, the most disappointed fan base. That I don't know, yeah, but yeah. I, I, in all five of the year, those years, they've maintained their big three in Dame, CJ, and Nurkic, and they just brought in new wing players. And if you look at it in 27, 2018, they had Evan Turner, Alpha Rukaminu, more Harkless as their main guys on the wing. <laughs> 2020, they had Gary Trent, Ariza, Carmelo, Bazemore, Rodney Hood, and then 2021, Norman Powell, Melo, and then Robert Covington. So, I mean, they definitely need to change up that that team. And it was announced Friday night that they are doing exactly that. And ESPN announced that the Blazers and head coach Terry Stotts have parted ways. So, Damian Lillard's gonna be you bet you best believe he's gonna be a part of that coaching that he hiring he process he wants jason kidd he just so said that. He we'll, wants jason kidd to be we'll, coach. we'll see what happens with that because i think whatever dame says has to go because he is his foot's kind of in the door ready to walk out on this team and i i have to believe and i don't blame him he wants to stay so loyal to this team and but he i think in my mind has every right to walk away from this team just because he's he's ran it back for what his nine year eight year career and there's nothing to show for so i mean feel bad for the guy but i mean the guy's a true warrior staying with his team so let's talk about the blazers and what's their future really after being bounced out in the first round for the second consecutive year i think the first domino has already been played um we kind of felt like the coach we felt like something was going to get shaken up if they didn't at least bare minimum get to the second round. I'd say that was the bare minimum. Um, but since they didn't get out of the first round, it was back-to-back first-round exits, I felt like the co- the coaching domino was going to get played. So Terry Stotts has to bow out. And now I'm just waiting and buying my time and sitting back and wondering, is the C.J. McCollum domino going to get played? Because we've been waiting and waiting and – my thing is, is with CJ and Dame, I'm just wondering, because it's it's the good thing is that it's not a situation where it's John Wall and Bradley Bill, who seemed as if it turned into a little bit, you know, maybe a toxic situation between the two where it just didn't work out between those guys and one had to go and unfortunately had to be John Wall. I think that those two get along with each other. But the big problem is that you got to you got guys they're both six foot tall (laughs) and i mean look it's not to say that you can't play the game at six feet tall you know or nothing like that but when you got two of your best players on your team and they're under six five i mean it's like it's kind of difficult to when you're going up against the the big boys in the league absolutely every single team that is a legitimate contender has some sort of forward center or some type of big, you know, dominant player, or they have a guard that's, you know, goes above and beyond. That can the, go mano y mano. Yes, with yes, exactly. So I think Dame is great. Dame is amazing, but he does need somebody that can be uh, 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 able to go on the wing and take the pressure off. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, they got Carmelo, <laughs> but I feel like if they would have got Carmelo maybe a few years ago, that obviously would have been, you know, something to be like, huh, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> but, but. Hey, it, but sh- first, I don't mean to cut you off, but shout out to Melo. He has yeah. turned back the clock from being Yo, basically washed out of his league. Like, I'm not, he's exactly. obviously not the Melo that we once knew, but mm-hmm. he's still giving you like 15, 17 a game, which is what you love to see. Something that 
I don't think a lot of people kind of expected once yeah. he kind of. I didn't. I'll, I'll say that personally. I no, didn't. Everybody I didn't felt think... like he was just a ball stopper and he wasn't going to be able to adapt to this. I knew. Mo- I knew he could produce, but I didn't think he could produce at this level. Yeah, I mean, you know, like still, still. Yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. But ultimately, with the Blazers, it's going to come down to what are they willing to do with C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard because they've seen already how far they can get to. Kudos to them for getting to that Western Conference Finals, by the way. I mean, I don't think anybody had them going that year to the Western Conference Finals. So hey, you want to know what's crazy? You want to know what's crazy is that CJ McCollum was the reason they got to that Western exactly. Conference Final against the Nuggets. Exactly. So it's like it's 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 a tough situation. Exactly. But, I just felt like if they want to get over the hump, they have absolutely. to make a move. They have to do something different. And for the past few years, I think we've said this for the past. The few only years, thing they've done is improve like their role players or they like interchange their role players or they interchange their role players like and i, I mean, mentioned we've clearly seen we've clearly seen like that's only going to get you so far you can only do so much and unfortunately in the in the nba you know there's only a certain amount of teams that you know you you can be able to surpass or be above and you know i i would say this was a disappointing season for the main part of like i think they were hoping that they would have gotten a higher seed and the fact that they kind of, you know, landed in that that six range, I was thinking that they could have maybe gotten up to like the four or five, uh, but they unfortunately they weren't able to do it. But I wish they were the five. <laughs> <laughs> but but ultimately, I think with uh, with with this whole thing, you could clearly see. I think Dame is trying to. He's at that crossroads in every NBA player's career. And I'm sorry, in every NBA star player's career, where they start to wonder, am I am I able to cut it? And can I can I stay quote unquote loyal? Which is so funny because I mean, like Damian Lillard, like you mentioned, has been one of those guys that has been like, oh, making fun of super teams and calling guys corny for teaming up and all that other stuff. And I just find it ironic that like if he decided to leave or decided to, you know, he wanted to, you know, band up with somebody, I'd be like, Huh. Isn't that funny? It'd be like it'd be similar to when you know, not saying it's exactly the same, but it's similar to when KD was saying the same thing. Oh, everybody trying to join up with the Miami Heat. It's like, bro, <laughs> what you talking about? If you can't beat him, join him. So I mean, look, and again, it's no knock on Dame if he decides to leave. Not at all. Because he's giving his all to that city. He's giving his all to that franchise. And realistically, nobody thought when he was drafted he would be on this level. Let's be real. Not a lot of people. And if he did, kudos to you for calling that. But I don't think anybody thought Damian Lillard would be on this level. They thought he would be, you know, all right, he'd be solid. But I don't think anybody thought he'd be on this level. But the fact that he's been able to do what he's been doing, I think it's going to come to a certain point, and it's probably going to be next season, if they have the same sort of – well, I don't even say next season. I think depending on what they do this offseason, that could be a huge – determinant on whether or not his mind is focused on where he's at or he's slightly thinking what if i can go elsewhere and have similar but better success because i'm trying to have because at some point i think he's if he wins the mvp i think that's when he's going to start to be thinking like okay i've pretty much done everything on an individual player standpoint i want to win now (laughs) i want to win now i'm trying to win so yeah if I'm the Trailblazers, I think they got to blow up this big three. Dame is the only consistent one out of the three, in my opinion. So that's mm-hmm. why he's the one to stay. But I think they need to trade CJ McCollum. We were talking about that. And actually, I cooked up a trade that I wanted to talk about on oh, this. Boy, 
but it's it's kind of contingent on the draft lottery. So of course. the Rockets have the tie or they're tied for the best odds for the number one pick with the Pistons and the Magic. If they fall out of the top four magically, it would go to OKC from that Westbrook Chris Paul trade that happened. If that happens, I think the Thunder trade, Al Horford, Lou Dort, and that pick, or even if they don't get that Rockets pick, they trade that because they have the number four pick right now, it, given the odds. They trade that top pick, that four, whatever it is, for a future first round pick swap or uh, or that where OKC gets the better of the two picks or they send a lottery protected first round pick to the uh, or the Blazers send it to OKC along with CJ McCollum. So basically it'd be Al Horford, Lou Dort and the top pick in this upcoming draft for CJ McCollum and a first round pick from the Trailblazers. And I mean, that would obviously be a great trade for uh, the Blazers. The only thing I think is that Sam Presti would never do yeah, that. that but, <laughs> but think about it. If you're getting – you still have a boatload of draft picks of for your future. I get that you're trying to rebuild right now. You're kind of trying mm-hmm. to do the, the KD, mm-hmm. Westbrook, Harden thing where you're trying to build through the draft. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, getting a guy like CJ McCollum who just signed a – re-signed a three-year deal, so you have him for three years in OKC – and I mean, have them along SGA, that'd be kind of good. And then that mm-hmm. young core coming up. And then, I mean, heck, yeah, if you, if yeah, you want to, if you want to stay in this draft, if you want to stay with this draft, you have so much draft capital that you could trade to move mm-hmm. back up into this move draft up, and you get, yeah. and I think for the Blazers, they get a fresh start. They get a defensive center because Nurkic can't hold his own against a star big man. And, uh, Plus, they're a great defender and a top pick coming into this draft, and and uh, Lou Dort. So Lou Dort, man, that that would be huge for them because he's a two way player and his offensive game is starting to get even better. I mean, like the dude is starting to make a name for himself. He made a name for himself, and he has that playoff experience too. Yeah. So going up against the the Rockets, I think you know that was huge for his career development and huge for uh, his notoriety. And I think. As long as he develops and keeps being like that two-way player, that two-way player. And I think also when you look at the draft pick, that's what I would be saying. Like you have the freedom to, to pick somebody out of this year's draft at the four spot, potentially, man. That's that, what I'm that, saying. So that, that so, would be that would be so much that would be so much help that I don't know if they could have even any room to say anything. Cause it's like, dude, look what we try to do for you. Yeah. I think in in retrospect, I guess the the trade would be Lou Dort and that top pick for CJ McCollum. Al Horford would just be a tag along to help out with a the contract. Plan. Yeah, yeah, contingency yeah. plan. Because and then, not, but I think it, looks like he's leaving. He looks like he's leaving. Oh, absolutely. But and and the big thing is, is I think it, the Blazers' first round pick. It could even be an unprotected pick. I'm pretty sure Sam Presti could get an unprotected pick from them and probably from the future as well too, because he's probably sitting back and was like, okay, if Dame leaves, that team's you know. <laughs> Is nothing. They're going to be a lottery team, and that's our pick right there. So exactly. that's why it could definitely be helpful. And then also this trade allows Norman Powell to kind of attempt to fill the void of McCullum on the offensive end. They get a solid defender in Dort, and then they get a top pick in this draft. And, I mean, there have been talks about uh, possibly the, the Thunder going out and drafting a guy like Jonathan Kaminga. So if the Blazers get him, that'd be big too. So it, that, that was just a trade I cooked up. I didn't have a lot of time to do this, but nah, nah. I think it was, I think it was an interesting move because honestly it, it, it sets both teams in a direction that they could still realistically be in. Like you said, like the, the Blazers would still be in that win now mode. And I think it would kind of put them over the top, 
the thing, the, the initial thing with it though, that I think a lot of people would probably criticize is so much that is being given up on the OKC end or would necessarily not. Cause I, for me, if you put Lou Dort and CJ together, I, I think initially people will probably say, obviously they'll take CJ, but I think that Lou Dort, his defense, that's something that the Blazers really need, man. Cause they, if you look at this series against the Nuggets, the Nuggets were getting whatever they wanted against them. And most teams, Every season, the past few seasons, they get whatever they want against the Blazers because they just, they just not like that. They just not built like that, and it's kind of tough when like your two star players are really not. I'm not saying Dame's like the worst defender, but I'm just saying like, look, it's tough to be a great defender when you have to guard Steph off, yeah. Curry and guard, you know, all these different great guards every single night. That's tough, man. Every single guard in the NBA cooks each other, but yeah. At the same time, I think that the Trailblazers, if they don't do anything this offseason, it's a major L. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you can run it back with this team anymore. All right, let's move on to the Eastern Conference. We got the Wizards losing to the Sixers. Nobody saw the Wizards really winning this series. They stole a game from the Sixers, but that's because Embiid was out. But the biggest thing, I think they'd lacked interior presence all series long. And Bradley Beal, like, he played his heart out, but it wasn't close to enough. Um, I think the Wizards need help in a lot of areas. They're kind of in the same boat like the Magic were. I think they have this star player, but they just don't know what to do with him. So I think the big, the, the biggest thing, like I said, is finding their identity. I think that is a big, big thing for the Wizards. Um, they found a bright spot in Daniel Gafford, um, but that's only because Thomas Bryant went down in the beginning of the year. But I still like Thomas Bryant is a great player, but I just don't think he's the answer at big man for the wizards. So I think move Daniel Gafford to the bench. He'd be coming off for Thomas Bryant. That'd be good. But Bradley Beal, he's going to be 28 next year. I'm pretty sure he's sick and tired of losing in the first round, the second round and not being contenders really. So you think Bradley Beal is going to get traded from the wizards this year? I think the only reason that would happen is he would have to kind of force their hand because if he doesn't say anything, if he doesn't, well, like, I, yeah, know, so like do you, you said, see do you see that happening? That if he forces their hand? their hand, if he if he says like you know trade me, I want out of here. I think yes, they will move him. Uh, depending on how much ruckus he makes, and obviously to be, depending on what teams put what sort of packages they put on the table for but, him. Because, but I'm asking you, do you think yeah. Bradley Beal will do that this upcoming year? Do yeah. you think he's gonna he's gonna yeah. try to force his way out? Yes, yes, I think so because there was rumors that he wanted out back when they still had John wall on the team. So, I mean, they tried, you know, to flip wall for, for Westbrook. And I thought that this team could be a little low key sleeper with those two. And I felt like, you know, the fact that like, cause if we were in the traditional format, they don't make the playoffs. Like they, if we were in the traditional one, eight uh, format, they wouldn't have made the playoffs this year. So the fact that they the underperformed, yeah, the fact that they underperformed so much, I think, this season. But it was kind of like two different seasons. Like, you had, like, the first half of the season where it was, like, god-awful. It was so bad. But it, you had that second half where they started to, you know, get that chemistry, and they went on a crazy run, and they were, like, one of the hottest teams in the league going into the, uh, the end of the regular season and into the playing tournament. So I think Bradley Beal understands that, he only has a certain amount of time left in this league where he is a, his name is still a notable variety as far as like, yo, this dude is 
is a bucket, still one of the top scoring uh, guards, scoring players in the league. Definitely shine bright, shine bright, especially don't wait because what's waiting got you nothing. And look, no disrespect whatsoever to the Washington Wizards as a franchise, but what are they? They're agent zero, John Wall, and now Bradley Bill as a Antoine Jameson. Come on, bro. <laughs> Antoine Jameson, <laughs> Andre Bynum. Oh, and, and how could we forget an old Michael Jordan? That's oh, the history boy. of the Washington Wizards, man. And look, they have never really been like that team. Uh, I guess you could say maybe back when Gilbert Arenas was, you know, still popping off with, you know, Karan Butler and them, but they were still having issues and still, you know, never a team that you expected to go heavily deep and and make it out of the East. So I think you got to ask to go and you got to strike while the iron's hot. You're playing your best basketball at the moment. You're in your prime right now as a player. Don't wait till, you know, you're on the tail end of your career trying to, you know, hop on a bandwagon with another team or whatever, just to try to get a ring on your finger, man. Like do it while you're still a valuable asset, a valuable player. And I think if Bradley Bill knocks on the door of the front office of the Wizards and demands a trade tomorrow, what are they going to say? No. Like, and even if they say no, it's like, look, this franchise, where is it realistically going? We barely made it into the playoffs this year. We shouldn't have, but we did. And that was only because Beal and Westbrook went nuts. So this team, I think they're in that, that weird phase where it's like, it's like you said, they're the magic. They just don't have an identity and they don't really know what direction they're going in. Their drafting is, you know, ugh, to say the least. Um, we'll see what their uh, the draft pick uh, turns into. Danny, because um, they say he's got a lot of potential, but, you know, we'll see. I, we'll Danny see. and then Ryu Hachimura. Yeah, yeah. I think Ryu Hachimura is, is something I like to see. Uh, but I, I, I still, the jury, you know, obviously I got to see a little bit more with Denny, but I think they got to rebuild. And why are you waiting at this point, I mean, I know you got Westbrook still tied up, but who's gonna want Westbrook? No one's gonna. Yeah, I think <laughs> my I think dad joked and said Westbrook, Westbrook's mom don't even want Westbrook. I'm like, yo, that's so disrespectful. That's, that's brutal. <laughs> but, no, but I, I'm on the same yeah. page as you. I think, I mean, maybe a Beal McCollum type of trade package, but I think that would be for the Wizards. I mean, take. Shot. No, I, I mean it wouldn't be a long shot, but I think the Not Wizards wouldn't. Shot, but it, the Wizards I, I, definitely wouldn't take that because I feel like they're taking a step back and being complacent with trying to be competitive, but they just literally took a step back because because yeah. Beal is better than McCollum straight up. Yeah. So, but I think the Wizards need to figure out a way to be consistent, really. Because and if that means by blowing this team up, by all means, I think that's what they need to do. That's what they did. They got John Wall number one. That rebuild did not work, so I think they have to go back to square one blow up the team and start rebuilding from ground zero again. Cause that's what the magic started to do. And I look mean, how many years they waited though. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. They, but yeah, I'm like, look, how but many at this point, how many, being by how many more years are you going to waste? You might as well blow it up right now. Yeah, so I, mean, especially I think in this year's, uh, this year's draft, there's a lot of good potential top picks that you can get if you flip Bradley Beal for the right asking price. So I mean, maybe OKC, that, that trade I was talking about with uh, McCollum to OKC, maybe Bradley Beal. Yeah, so it's, that's what I'm saying. Like, why wait? Because you just... That's why I'm you're yeah. just not, you're not doing anything. Press the button. Press the big red button. That's what you got to do. Because in my opinion, I don't see any 
free agent signing with this team, or any no. big free agent signing with this team. Because heck no, unless they throw a bag at them, and even then they wouldn't go there. But that's what I'm saying. And in order for them to compete for a title, I think they need that number three guy. And I just don't see them getting that number three guy. So they better it, just rip the bandaid off and just say we're done. Exactly. And I, I think if you're a team that's fringe contending or ready to compete soon they need to try to trade for bradley beal and strike when the iron's hot and a couple of teams There's a lot I of said, teams in the east as that's well, what i was saying like, a couple know, of teams you know. the heat the knicks th- those two teams and then out in the west i just wanted to include a west team but maybe the pelicans maybe the pelicans hey, zion, need, zion gonna need somebody to you know that's what I'm saying. And you want to know what's crazy is Bradley Beal's only 27. He's going into his 28 years, like year 28 season, which is insane to say. I, I feel like the guy was older, to be honest. I thought he was like CJ McCombs going into his uh, year 30. So it's, it's kind of crazy. But yeah, I think I think we're both in agreement that the Wizards need to blow it up. Let's move on. We got the Heat losing to the Bucks, probably the most surprising <laughs> series thus far. Most people had the Bucks winning, but I don't think anyone had the Bucks winning in four. So, and we we already pretty much touched on this series last mm-hmm. episode when the Heat were down zero three, and then Game Four was really nothing different. Giannis was a monster. Drew Holiday is a difference maker, and there's still a lid on the room for the Miami Heat. So, with that being said, what do the Miami Heat got to do this offseason? They got a big free. Uh, they got a big off season ahead of them as far as um, deciding on whether or not what they're going to do with the uh, Drogic uh, and whether or not he's going to come back to the team. And they got a few free agents on the scene as far as their bench. I think a lot of people. Is it... No, no, no. Drogic is a free agent. I thought he signed, re-signed a two-year deal or one-year deal. Was it last year? It might've been a one-year deal. Maybe it was, but honestly, I, I think that what the heat is, is that, they will probably be open to making a trade, I think. And I think um, they'll definitely be trying to uh, look to package, you know, some of the guys off, uh, on their bench and maybe uh, one of the, one, maybe, you know, somebody to fill in as far as like starting wise, because I think with the Heat, yes, Jimmy Butler impressed me in the bubble and he impressed me last season with helping this team get to the finals. But I think it was more so the fact that Bam Adebayo had a glow up that I did not foresee or think was going to ever like, I was like, what? Like the fact that he had such a glow up and he had such a high season in the bubble. Tyler hero had a high season in the bubble as well. And the fact that that just went just like completely into this season was just like, wow. But I think they got to look at this and and more so internally evaluate it themselves and kind of like look and see, because they're not going to get rid of Spo. Spo's an amazing coach. They're not going to get rid of him over, you know, not making it out of the first round. Um, and I think um, if they could somehow, some way, try to finagle something, because, you know, Pat Riley, he always be trying to finesse. He's always trying to rub his hands like Birdman and finesse somebody for sure. Like, so if he over here get on the phone to Washington and be like, hey, how much for Bradley Bill? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that would be the dude. That would take so much pressure off of Jimmy having to force up and chuck up some dumb shots sometimes. And it's like, bro, if you got Bradley Bill, at least you got somebody who can take the pressure off. And at least he won't be dog tired like midway through the series, too. So he became a meme. Yeah. <laughs> Looking tired. Yeah. In the so, bubble. I mean, that, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Like the dude, uh, Jimmy Butler, I mean, shout out to him. He works hard. I don't, you know, he, he makes it a takes pride in the fact that he works hard. But I think there's a difference between working hard and working smart. So I think it would be smart if the Heat decided and they recognize that, hey, we got this guy 
but we need to give him some help and pair him up with another guy so that way the pressure is not always on his shoulders to do something. And if that means you have to give up uh, a Duncan Robinson or, you know, something like that, then, hey, you might have to sacrifice that. But think about it. What did that necessarily do for you this season? Didn't do a whole lot. Exactly. That did a lot. Yeah, I mean, I did a lot in the bubble, but I think some people are, are even saying it. Like, some guys were just bubble players. Some <laughs> guys were bubble players. And some guys were, you know, able to, you know, play in the playoffs for real with fans in the stands and stuff like that. But I think it'll be telling to see whether or not they do anything because it's not like it's a make or break offseason for them because they can just be content with what they have and content with the way that things look. And if they feel that no other team that's in like the same uh, placing in them as the East, if they feel like the Bulls are not going to be better this year, if they feel like Indiana is going to be, you know, mad this year or, you know, wh- whoever is like in their same like category or in the same like area as them they feel like they're not doing nothing then they can be content with this year and be like hey roll the ball out next year and see you try again hopefully we don't get Giannis in the bucks in the first round yeah i think this offseason is going to be a big one the depending on the decisions they make because i think anyone not named jimmy butler or bam Adebayo are are not untouchable tyler hero because they had their chance at james harden possibly but they said nope no tyler hero in that package are still saying they wouldn't give up Tyler Hero for James Harden. And I'm just like, those people are insane. I don't know about that. But I think, honestly, I think you you hit the nail on the head that if they don't get a chance at a big name player this season, they don't necessarily need to blow it up because they had it. It was really that they had a tough matchup with the Bucks and they struggled shooting. So if anything, I think they need to get more shooters, a big man shooter. And in particular, maybe like Kelly Olenek, bring him back because he is a free agent. But if they do do a trade, I think they need to trade for a true point guard to ease the pressure off of Jimmy Butler. They have the three-headed guard of Drajic Hero and Kendrick Nunn uh, was an operation that didn't, that, that that's not going to win you a championship. We saw it last year in the bubble that they struggled. And then this year it just did not work. So I would look to trade one of those guys, maybe two of those guys for a solid point guard or even go get one out in free agency, like a Kyle Lowry, maybe Dennis Schroeder, maybe Mike Conley, but I don't know. It depends on what the jazz do this season, if they're going to resign him or not, or heck even Alonzo ball. I think all those guys are, those guys are free agents. So definitely shake something up and get a true point guard to ease the pressure off of Butler on the offensive end and let him focus more on the defensive end. So I think the biggest Thing for this team this offseason is getting an all-star caliber point guard and a stretch big man another stretch big man to try to to try to help because we saw Kelly, Kelly Olenek he flourished in that offense so but they had to train for Oladipo and that kind of didn't go the way they expected it moving on we got the Celtics losing to the Nets Corey's preseason champions runs ends in the first round just like mine Dang. but Granted, they were banged up. They missed Jalen Brown all series. And then Kemba Walker, the last two games of the series, Kemba Walker, I don't know if it would have made a big difference, but those two injuries really proved that Jason Tatum is a young superstar in this league, dropping 50 points in game three to steal a win from the Nets and then dropping 40 points to try to steal a win in game four, but it just wasn't enough. But I think after the Celtics, they, after they got knocked out, this, uh, this playoffs, they kind of shook up their front office and coaching staff. Danny Ainge, president of the Celtics, announced his retirement, and his replacement, Brad Stevens, is now the president of the team. So now the Celtics are in search for a new head coach for their young and promising teams. 
So, Corey, do you think that move of Danny Ainge retiring and Brad Stevens moving to the front office and looking for a new head coach, do you think that's going to help the Celtics? That was a surprising move and a move that was just like a weird one. And some people well, were saying. I, I do want to say the reason why it happened for a little background context is Danny Ainge, it ultimately came down to his health because in 2019, he did actually have a mild heart attack. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's when he that. started to think about retirement after that incident. And then in, when he said in the bubble, you know, it just all the protocols and stuff like that, it was just too stressful. And he just didn't enjoy what he was doing anymore, being the the. Uh, president in the in the mm-hmm. front office so i think for him it was more of a stress and health thing he just mm-hmm. he's like what's done is done i'm gonna leave the ba- game of basketball and hand it off to brad stevens would have been nice if he would have handed it off to a more ex- somebody who had a little bit more experience uh in the front office than a guy who's never had any experience in the front yeah. office so um but i'm pretty sure he th- there had to be a way that brad stevens was under his wing the entire time had to be because there's no way they would just give a head coach that let me ask you this because they talked about it on uh the tnt crew talked about it and it was, and i thought it was interesting and I had a little debate about it with a few people so kenny smith said that brad stevens has had experience with butler as far as recruiting players and building a system and building a program there and that in turn doesn't necessarily mean he's coming into this role without any experience, but I argue totally different operations, totally different from pro and college. Obviously I get where he's coming from, but I don't, I don't equate antiquate the two because I think when you're recruiting and building a program that yes, was one shot away from winning a national championship um, versus trying to build an NBA franchise winning team, totally different ball game, different uh, things that you got to take into consideration, especially um, I think when it comes to like free agency, drafting, scouting, there's so many things you got to take into consideration when you're building an NBA franchise versus where you can only maybe focus on a few good, a few things when it comes to the college ranks, but you're in full control regardless. Yeah, absolutely. I think when, well, what, what Kenny was trying to say is that I think recruiting is very similar to free agency. And when you're in a market like Boston and have a history like the Celtics, that in itself already makes it a lot easier to recruit. And then on top of that, if you have the experience of recruiting Does it players, though? does it though? Because they like how many outside of Gordon Hayward in the past few years, how many big name free agents has Boston been able to really land? So I, mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like, it's like, I'm, uh, I get. What, I mean, I back, get the draw, back, I get the obviously, draw. obviously, hindsight twenty twenty. But at the time, Al Horford was a big name. Right, right, right. Signing, no, I'm just saying, like, there has it's not. I don't think that Boston is necessarily this free agent destination that a lot of people are flocking to. I think because of the name, the history, and the fact that they won so many championships. Yes, that is something that maybe could allure. But I don't know how many people want to go and play for the Boston Celtics that are in the NBA. That's just- I, you'd be surprised. First of all, they're in the Eastern Conference. That's already a big bonus right there. And then the fact that they have championship 
pedigree in their franchise i think that definitely helps as well too and that's when i think kenny coming from that aspect of trying to recruit players in college and trying to recruit players in free agency that's where i think he's making the the connection which i do think is a valid connection but then what you said when it comes to the drafting when it comes to scouting and all that type of stuff and all trades the as well trades and all that stuff that's where he's inexperienced but i think that's where you have your assistants and that's where he probably was under the wing of Danny Ainge at the time. Cause you got to remember doc rivers when he was with the Clippers, he was both the head coach and the president of operations mm-hmm. at the time too. And he mm-hmm. got some decent role players for the Clippers during the lob city days. So, I mean, he, he had to learn the ropes on the way while doing both jobs. And I don't think he's ever been the president of operations at the time. It just didn't pan out and it was too much on his plane. That's why they kind of relieved him of the president role and just made him a head coach. But that's why I think, I think Brad Stevens will be fine. When it comes down to it, I think Brad Stevens will definitely be fine. And especially when you already have kind of a mold that you've created with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, like those two guys, and then Marcus Smart, maybe you could say too. Like those three guys right there is already a pretty good mold. It's not like he's starting from ground zero. No, no, no. So I'm, I, I'm I think saying that definitely... I'm not saying that uh he's gonna struggle or he's gonna have like a difficult time. I think that the biggest problem with the Celtics is that um now that Ainge is obviously leaving the, the I think the thing that Ainge kind of leaves them as far as the, the Celtics is that they're kind of in this situation where they know they underachieved this season, obviously, and they they're going to have to come to terms with establishing the hierarchy because I think Tatum has officially laid down and let it be known. This is my team. If you don't like it, then you got to go. Now, how is Jalen Brown, who is a young guy? still trying to make a name for himself, still trying to, you know, put his name in uh, in the ranks of, you know, of the NBA and have everybody notice him. How's he going to take to that? And I think it's going to be a situation where they're going to have to do something that they probably should have done a while back. And that's decide who are we going to keep, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum? And I think they probably should have done this a long, 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 long time ago. But hey, you know, can't focus on the past. Got to only stay in the present and focus on the future. But they so, both, they both, they have both of them under contract for a while. Yeah, yeah. and I'm not saying you got to trade, you know, uh, Brown or you know anything like that, or just for just trading sake. But you have to look at it from the perspective of how many more years do you want to keep this going? Now, obviously, you know, with the new regime and in the front office, you know, I, I guess you could say kind of new regime in the front office with Brad Stevens. It'll be intriguing to see how much longer he's going to stick with these uh, these two cats uh, being the centerpieces of the franchise. Because at some point or another, you look at the draft picks that they made the past few years, they kind of whiffed on those. And you look at the, the, the you know, free agents that they kind of have picked up. Kyrie obviously didn't work out. Gordon Hayward didn't work out. Kimba, jury's still out, but it's not looking like this is going to be working out. And I know that was... That was, you know, but I I just think with Boston, it's just weird how they how they underachieved in not making it to the finals once once. Here's what I'm going to say. I think you're kind of I'm going to just say I feel like they ran into bad luck, a lot of bad luck, because, okay, let me say this. Yeah, fair enough. And I think that's why I don't have a problem with them sticking with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I think they've just ran into incredibly bad luck. The trade for Kyrie Irving to Isaiah Thomas, that was an incredibly smart trade, and it worked out for them. If Kyrie doesn't get injured in the conference finals, they're in the finals that year, I guarantee you, against LeBron. Am I wrong? 
You really think I'm wrong? Because they, they were fighting. They were fighting one on one. I'm not they saying you're wrong. They were going mano a mano with the Cavaliers without yeah. Kyrie Irving. And then last year they made the conference finals. They just ran into a Miami Heat team that was just scorching hot Miami team. So that was tough luck. And then this year the injuries played a play uh, a played a role. And then they went up against the Nets. I think if they still had those guys. They ran up against arguably the most dominant no, team I, I, in the league. So I, that's where I think luck comes into picture. And I don't think. I think, yeah, luck. But also, I think the fact that they didn't they didn't strike while the iron was hot. And they didn't take full advantage of the draft capital they had built up. They didn't take full advantage of being able to. Because I think what Danny Ainge was trying to do was keep them in. Uh, was have a balance of being able to have them ready for the future and also have them ready to win now. And I think he did a good job of that as far as like, you know, getting Gordon Hayward and getting Kyrie Irving and then still being able to have these young guys on the same boat. But the best, I say this relentlessly, the best thing that happened for the Celtics as far as when they had Jason Tatum and, and, and uh, Jalen Brown, still, you know, young players, was opening night when Gordon Hayward had the worst injury of of ever that I, I saw live. I couldn't Bad believe luck. that. Yeah. But that was a blessing because it forced Jason Tatum to not have to be in rookie mode anymore. You have to step up right instantly and have to play. And you were able to see his star blossom. But I just think they need to figure out the chemistry and they need to figure out who's going to be the head coach of this team. Can he be able to manage the egos? Because Brad, good X's and O's guy, don't know how good he was as far as managing egos. That's why I'll, I'll, I'll say... Doc Rivers, I don't know how good he is with X's and O's, but as far as with player management and as far as like managing egos and being able to understand, like, look, either you get on board or we going to move on without you. So, like, I think he does a good job at that. And I personally think the next head coach needs to be a mixture of both and needs to have a mixture of being able to have that uh, that rep, that, that good reputation in the league of being respected and being somebody that, you know, when you hear their name or whatever, it's like that garners something like, you know, some somewhat some level of respect. And, you know, it does. I'm not saying like the next head coach that they hire has to be somebody that just instantly gets them to the finals. But their next head coach needs to be somebody that brings that belief and that faith that they could get to the finals again, because I think that kind of got sucked the life out of them after they lost last year. And I think, you know, with the Nets getting becoming the Nets this year and the Bucks being the Bucks, it's kind of like in the Sixers being the Sixers. It's kind of like the Celtics are the not even the fourth best team at the moment. They're kind of fighting to be the fourth best team in the league. And so that one point or another, they were one of the favorites to get out of the East and how quickly the tide has turned to where it's like you're, you're struggling to be a four fifth seed, maybe. So they need to get a head coach that can at least be a filler bring that faith back into the franchise, bring that faith back into the team, ignite something, a fire under these guys' butts. And then if it works, great. If it doesn't, hey, at least you got that back. And then similar to uh, the Steve Kerr situation with the Warriors, you'd be able to bring in somebody who can, you know, push them over the hump. Yeah, I think that Brad Stevens, he's kind of thrown into the fire and his big first task is finding a replacement for him at head coach. So, I mean, there's two big coach head coach openings in the Celtics and the Blazers. So there'll be some good coaching gigs for candidates out there. But um, 
I, I honestly, I expect this team to shake things up. And maybe even that, if that means Kemba Walker's the, the next guy on the move, that's, that's what it is. But we'll see what happens with the Celtics. Let's move on to the last Eastern Conference first round matchup. And that was the Knicks losing to the Hawks. Although the series wasn't played up to expectation, there might have been a rivalry sparked in the Eastern Conference with these two teams. Because Trey Young, first of all, he's a bad man. As much as I shit on him for his <laughs> flopping and his trying to yeah. draw fouls, mm-hmm. he's still a bad man. Like, he's mm-hmm. still that guy. So, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll talk about the Hawks a little bit later. But for the Knicks, I mean, first of all, the most improved player used all his juice in the regular season because he was really nowhere to be found in this series. Granted, I will give... I don't want to give him a full pass, but I'm going to give him a pass just because this is his first playoff series. He did play every game in the regular season. So, like I said, I'm not giving him a pass, but I'm kind of giving him a pass at the same time, too. The Tom Thibodeau effect was in full. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But honestly, big credit to Nate McMillan, the Hawks coach. He did a hell of a job game planning defensively against Julius Randle and forcing the other guys to beat him. And we saw that that's just not the case. You can't do that. So... And the Knicks, they won game two, but the rest was really history. The Hawks went on to win the next three of the series. But for the Knicks, I mean, they got that taste of the playoffs. What do you expect for their future? They're, dog, like, their whole, they will not look the same going into next season because it feels like majority of their whole entire uh, roster is a free agent, it feels like. I mean, they obviously got Randall coming back. They got... um you know the young they guys. have they have julius randall coming back they have quickly they have mitchell robinson emmanuel quickly obi toppin and rj barrett those are like the significant players that are returning next season mm-hmm. so but as far as the guys who i think were the key reason as to why they had so much success like your derrick roses like your taj gibson's like your you know just those guys who were the role players that just knew how to play their role and play it to the you know, perfect degree in order for them to have success in being a fourth seed. I'm just the fact that the Knicks were the fourth seed is just amazing to me. But I think I had uh, them 13th. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that they had this so much success, I think, was a great taste for the city, was a great taste for the franchise. And I think the NBA is better when you obviously have the Knicks you know, Lakers and a lot of the marquee franchises being playing well, and especially the Knicks, because I think, you know, obviously, you know, people that call it the Mecca of basketball, Madison Square Garden, but I'm sorry, man, but <laughs> those games when the Hawks were on the road and they were playing against the Knicks and the fans uh, like, yo, we're going at Trey Young. That's some stuff that you wish you got to see live that's, in person. That's what I'm saying. I think all my in that building. That's what I'm saying. I think that's on my bucket list is going to a game in the garden. That's, that's definitely on just, my bucket list. This is insane, especially being able to go to a playoff game in the garden. That'd be insane. Like you could feel that you're at the game through the TV. That's the exactly, insane part. Exactly. Exactly. And there's an iconic photo of like Trey Young looking at Knicks fans, and they're just like you know, giving him abuse and like, you know, they just, just, and he's just smiling, smiling with the, yeah. Yeah, with the biggest of smiles. 
And I think that that's what this series all came down to. I mean, like, you know, you say rivalry, but honestly, if this rivalry is anything that taught me something, I think this is going to be a rivalry between the Knicks fans and Trey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you it's saw that, be- like that interview of like guys just going outside the garden, just interviewing people. And literally every person's first word was F Trey Young. Yeah. F. Trey Young. <laughs> that's literally well, it. And that's what's crazy. Like New York, New York sports is, you know, is crazy in itself I'm not saying like they breathe sports, live and breathe like, sports yeah the sports fans are crazy but new york sports fans take it to another level yeah. and that's just crazy but overall as far as the knicks franchise goes this was a good this was a great season regardless of what people have to say about their you know them getting bounced out you know in the first round i think this was a great season for them this is a stepping stone but again this shows you the limitations of their head coach, and this shows you he'll only take you so far. And you know, and we know, we knew this already, right? I thought it was a long shot for them to win this series. Like, damn, sure wasn't gonna win the next series if they made it to the next series. But I was like, look, I was riding with them just because I was like, hey, I, I, I fell in love with the story, so I kind of got caught up in the moment and. You know, hey, I, I was I was loving to see Knicks fans have some sort of success. And hey, if they would have got a playoff series win this year, I think that would have been icing on the cake. But now I think after you have this level of success, I think what Knicks fans are, and what the NBA as a whole is going to be, you know, tr- intrigued about is how do you where do you go from here? Do you go right back to another playoff drought, or do you go and try to build on this because you have young talent, you have an all-star caliber player on your roster. You got a young guy in Obi Toppin who's still, you know, figuring it out, still trying to find his way in the league. What do you do in the draft? What do you do in free agency in order to put yourself in a position to where at least you're fighting and contending to get back in the same position you were and have another shot at trying to get deep, not deep, but, you know, have another shot of getting, you know, uh, into being consistent. Yeah. I think that's where they are. They are in a situation where I'm not saying they're going to be a, a free agent destination, but they have an intriguing sort of thing going on about them. They got some guys that make you go, hmm, hmm. So I think definitely they're going to be able to draw in people now because they've gotten the only thing, though, is they still got James Dolan as the owner. So uh, you still got to deal with that. But the toxicity that I think with the Knicks. I don't want to say it's gone, but it definitely wasn't like as bad as it was most years. So I think the Knicks are going in the right direction for sure. Yeah, I think obviously this isn't the result Knicks or Knicks fans wanted when they made the playoffs. But I think just the fact that they exceeded expectations like crazy and they showed heart in the playoffs, even though maybe the the box score doesn't show it. It kind of somewhat put them on the on back on the map. And I think given like like i said the guys who they still have with julius randall uh mitchell robinson who is a young solid center a lot of people forgot about him because he was injured most of the year and they didn't see him in the playoffs nerland's Noel is going to be a free agent so mitchell robinson is going to reclaim that center role for them but i mean they have young guys in emmanuel quickly obi top and rj barrett to return next season so i think they're definitely going to look to add to this core and i think it all starts at the point guard position i think that's their biggest biggest need for them because i'm pretty i'm most likely d rose is gone this offseason i don't see him coming who, back to yeah, the Knicks. Like, like you said maybe like with uh what you call it with the celtics or i'm um, sorry with the heat um, going after Alonzo Ball or something like that. Maybe, you know, and the Knicks were linked with him 
uh, at the trade deadline to maybe try to get him, you know, so it'll be, and there's still rumors that he might be trying to go to New York. So I think it'll be really intriguing to see what they do as far as free agency. And then also um, if they can, you know, maybe string a trade together because let's face facts, the way out of the East is to across the way, Brooklyn, that, that's the way yeah. out of the East, you know, for at least the time being, you know, depending, obviously we'll, you know, we'll talk about the, the matchup, but I think that, you know, they're going to have to build enough credit in the eyes of NBA uh, players and the eyes of people around the league that they can be on that same level at some point rocking right next door and saying, Hey, y'all might be Brooklyn with KD and and Kyrie and and Harden, but Hey, we going to, we going to fight y'all to death and see who's going to be the best team in New York. The one thing is that, that the Knicks offer that the Nets can't is obviously they're both in New York. So you get that New York vibe, but the Knicks, they got the money, you know, you know, Brooklyn ain't going to offer you that much money giving up what they're tied with. So the Knicks definitely have the upper hand when it comes to that. But honestly, they had an overwhelming season next season. They have something to build on and obviously they have a sour taste in their mouth and they're going to want to, you know, be consistent and make the playoffs as well. Even if it's a, a low seed or a high seed, whatever the case may be, they want to stay in that playoff race. So, yeah, I think bare minimum, they got to get back to the postseason. That's bare oh, absolutely. Minimum. And I absolutely. think that continues to give hope to your young players and that continues to give them growth and that continues to push them to want to be better. Cause for those that say the way it is to build through the draft with your franchise, the thing about like tanking and tanking and being bad, that kills and just deflates your young players. And that was one of the things that I think Sam Hinkie got wrong as far as his whole philosophy of tank, 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 tank. But what about once you get your young players and they're losing, 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 what do they develop? They develop a loser's mentality. They become losers. So even when you, even when you, (laughs) even when you draft a talented guy, if he's developing bad habits, if he's developing bad, uh, a bad mindset on how to be a professional in the league. How do you expect to be in the playoffs, no matter how talented, or how do you expect to be a contender, no matter how talented of a guy you draft? So I think the Knicks have, like you said, gotten back on the map. Now you're on the map. What do you do? You that's the the balls in their court. What do you do? You made some great moves this past off season. You made some great hirings, great decisions. Now you got to follow it up by having another good offseason. And that's how you build. You continue to have another good offseason, another good offseason, to the point where it's like, dang, Nick's back in the hunt for trying to, you know, get a title. So that's how you do it for me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about round number two, the conference semifinals. We're going to give our predictions. Uh, let's start off with the Sixers and the Hawks. I think this series is going to be dictated by whether – Joel Embiid can play or not. He has a small lateral meniscus tear that's listing him day to day. Honestly, if I'm the Sixers, I kind of hold out on him game one, given his injury history for sure, maybe even game two. And based off of those two results from those games, then I decide whether he should come back or not. Because if they can steal a game, maybe even just sit him out game three. And if you're down 2 1, I'm, if I'm the Sixers, I'm content with that. If that means Joel Embiid getting a week, week and a half off of playing and making sure he comes back. So based off of those results, I kind of decide whether he should rest more or whether he should play more. Cause at the end of the day, that's your franchise player. Mm. And 
that he has had knee problems in the past. So you don't want to jeopardize his future because you're literally building your franchise around that guy. But then again, I was thinking about, I was thinking back when I was talking about this or when I was thinking, Oh my God, when I was thinking about this scenario, I was like, dude, I said the same shit with Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I said, just, <laughs> just, just sit him out. Like it's not worth the franchise, but I mean, hell he played. So we never know the Sixers could, he could be ready to go game one. But um, I think, they they should rest him because you have pieces around that I think could be the Hawks. You have Ben Simmons, Danny Green, and Matisse Tybal who can try to limit Trey Young. And then I think Dwight Howard can pretty much go blow to blow with Clint Capella. And I think when it comes down to it, it's going to come down to the shooters. Is it going to be Bogdanovich? That's what I'm saying. Is it going to be Bogdanovich, Hunter, Kevin Huerta, Gallinari, or John Collins that prevails? Or is it going to be Tobias Harris, Danny Green, Seth Curry, Forkon Korkmaz, or Tyrese Maxey that prevails? So it's really going to come down to the shooters because I think matchups with or without Dwight Howard, I think they match up pretty well against the Hawks. So what's your prediction for the series? I think this is going to be a tough series for the Hawks because, like you said, the matchups is going to be tough. And that's what's scary for the Hawks is the fact that they probably won't have Embiid for this series, depending on whether or not they decide to plan, which like you said, I agree with you. They should kind of play it ear by ear and not, uh, you know, they should have it be just like a game time decision and let people know right before game time, whether or not he's playing or not. Um, just so that way it kind of just keeps in the back of the Hawks, uh, minds keeps them on like, their toes. yeah, yeah. It's like, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Cause I think, they have a good enough roster and a deep enough roster, but then again, this is Doc Rivers, so <laughs> I don't know. The well, wild first, card. First off, I want to say I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little cocky here, but I said the Hawks. They're the team to watch this season at the beginning you did. of the season. You did. You did I said the that. Hawks. I didn't expect did. honestly, I didn't expect them to get this far. I expected mm-hmm. them to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. but I said watch out for the Hawks. You did. You definitely did. And so. Uh, I got I gotta go with the Sixers to win this series. Um in how I many think games? If Joel does not play, I'll give the Hawks two games. So I'll say six. But if he does play, then I'll say five. Okay. But I think that the Sixers, the, the reason that I think that they're gonna be a little bit too much for this young Hawks team to handle is for the simple fact that Trey Young is gonna have to be dealing with Danny Green, more than likely, for majority of the game. And then in crunch time, you could put Ben Simmons on him and yeah. just try to just shut him down with the DPOY player of the deepest player of the year candidate and just be like, yeah, um, Ben Simmons. None of that shit. None of that is none of that ice cold tray is gonna be happening today. So I think that's what you have to be thinking about if you're uh if your Doc Rivers is like you obviously save. Ben Simmons in your back pocket. Don't want to tire him out. Having him chase Trey Young around the court. Have Danny Green do that for three quarters. And then when it's crunch time, fourth quarter time, you know he's the primary guy. He know he's the dude who's going to be clutch for him. You Shut also, that down. You also can't forget about Matisse Thybul that they of got course. too. Of course, all he's defensive a NBA. Yeah, candidate. So, I mean, you could. That's the great thing about the Sixers. They have so many guys that could throw at Trey Young. Yeah, and have exactly. Him, give him so many different looks. So if one guy's not getting it done. Then they can go over here and go another guy hound him. And I think if you're guarding Trey Young, you have to treat him similarly to Steph Curry. That's your guy. Don't help. So because I mean, like, yo, if you're playing against a guy who, you know, is a shooter scorer and he's a guard, just hound him and force him to have to work on the offensive end. So that way, when he plays defense, you know, gets on defense, he's toast. 
So yeah. that's what I mean. And put Trey Young in the pick and roll every single time that you get. Like there should be no reason Ben Simmons doesn't come down every single time. Whoever's guard, whoever Trey Young is guarding, which will probably be Danny Green, pick and roll, take his ass to the post, and just go to work. Like that's it. Yeah, simple, absolutely. simple. And that's how they should win. And I yeah. think, and I think uh if Tobias Harris continues to play the way he's been playing, like you said, Seth Curry continues to play the way he's playing. The Sixers, man, they have so many different looks, man, as far as their 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 bench is deep and they have shooters, like you said. So there's just no excuses whatsoever. I don't care if they have Joel Embiid or don't have Joel Embiid. If they lose this series, heads gotta roll. I'm sorry. <laughs> heads gotta yeah. roll. I'm with you with or about with or without Embiid. I got the Sixers winning this series. I just think they're far more experienced and they have the guys uh, that could win this. But I'm going to just say if Embiid sits out two games, which I'm predicting he does, I say Sixers in six games. So I'm right there with you. And I think the X factors for the series for the Sixers, it's got to be Tobias Harris. He's going to be the number one scoring option without Embiid. And if he has a good game, the Sixers win. If he has a bad game, I the Sixers could lose. So that's why he's their true X factor. And then for the Hawks, I got to go with Trey Young. He's this pick is kind of basic, but he literally runs and generates their entire offense. So, and if he's going to get hounded on the defensive end by great perimeter defenders that the Sixers have, I think he'll still be able to generate offense because he's one of the best at doing that in the league. Um, But it's just not going to be enough. But if he, like I said, he loves to do his flopping into his players and get fouled. So if he can get the Sixers and foul. Hey, this is the second round. (laughs) That stuff is is regular season first round stuff. Hey, you never know. You never know. But (laughs) if he can somehow get the Sixers and foul. James Harden and ask James Harden how how that treatment goes. That's true. Because he's about to see a whole different type of treatment in the second round because that the is whistles, true the whistles get a little bit tighter. they get swallowed they get swallowed in the second round and beyond bro so but if, if somehow stuff, if somehow trey young is able to get the sixers in foul trouble the hawks could dictate this game in a if big- the hawks upset the sixers in this series we got to start talking about trey young potentially being on like people got to start mentioning trey young on the same level as luca i'm sorry like they're gonna have, if trey young leads the hawks past the sixers I need people to start respecting Trey Young on the same level that they talk about Luka. I need it. I need it. We shall see. We shall see. Let's move on to the next Eastern Conference matchup. We got the Nets and the Bucks. I think this is the series that everyone is This is the NBA Finals right here, to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) And it starts Saturday afternoon, so it's the the first game of the second round, and this is basically defensive hounds versus offensive hounds in the matchup we love to see. Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Middleton going up against KD, Kyrie, and Harden. So this is going to be a star-studded matchup. And in my opinion, I think all the stars are going to show up. But I think one star that is going to prevail all, I think that's going to be Giannis. I, I, I simply think that there's no one on the Nets that will be able to guard the Greek freak. And all three of their regular season games, they were decided by six points or less. The Nets won game one, but uh, without Kyrie and then the Bucks won the next two but the Nets didn't have James Harden so that's gonna be I mean take it how you will but and then, and then also the news that just came in was Dante DiVincenzo he's gonna be out the rest of the playoffs with a torn ankle ligament so that's a big blow for the Bucks they were kind of relying that would have been a, a guy that they can maybe throw on Kyrie for a couple that's what I'm saying he, he like would that, he so would be yeah. like the second primary guard defender yeah, exactly. after Drew Holiday so exactly. what do you got this series what's your prediction I mean, my heart says Nets 100%, but I just feel like 
Giannis is tired of going out early. I feel like he's he's ready to move on. And what better way to do it than knock off the, the team that everybody's crowning <laughs> NBA champions already. So I think because I, I, I think I'm going to go with the Bucks. I think I'm going to go with the Bucks to win in a game seven. Um, now, I think obviously, like you said, this is, you know, two different styles and, you know, everybody's going to be enamored by the fact that Harden, KD, Kyrie, but it's honestly been the others that have been big time for the Nets. I mean, Bruce Brown, um, Joe Harris. I mean, like those guys that really don't get as much shine and really don't get talked about as much as the star players have really been playing at a high level and they've been doing it all season long because obviously, as we know, they haven't had their star players throughout the entire majority of the season. They only play like eight games in the regular season, I think, together. So that is, I think, the crucial determinant factor, I think, is can the Nets, other guys, be able to handle in this moment playing against the Bucks guys who have taken those heavy lumps and have a lot of veteran guys. I think P.J. Tucker was such a big-time pickup for the Bucks because you could literally put him on either one of those guys and i think he would i'm not saying he stops them because look not stopping any of them but i think the key for the bucks is that don't if 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 one of them has you know 40 points or 30 points you can't have another guy get 30 or 40 you know what i mean like you can't have you can't you can afford maybe for two guys to go off but if all three go off then i mean like you, you already know this series is gonna end in four or five so you can't have all three of the nets top players go off you need harden to not be hardened you need for either katie or Kyrie to kind of have a meh sort of game and i think that uh overall for the nets their biggest thing is obviously defense and obviously rebounding. They got very fortunate to be going up against the Celtics and they didn't have to worry about no big man and nothing like that. Especially Robert Williams being injured most of the series. Exactly. So this series is not going to be that at all. So they're going to have to rebound. They're going to have to defend and they're not going to get any easy games whatsoever. So every single game I'm hoping is a dog fight and I'm hoping comes down to the wire. And if it does, I got to go with the defense, man. The defense wins championships. So I'm going with the Bucks in seven. In seven. All right. Well, it's unfortunate because I really wish we were going up against each other, but I got the Bucks in six. <laughs> I know. I know my preseason prediction. I had the Nets making it to the finals, but the way these teams match up, I like the Bucks. You got. Me too. You, you I got, thought about it too, a heavily a lot. I kept going back and forth, back and forth. But I was this like, probably Yo. took me the hardest. Yeah, for yeah, sure to think about. Me too. But I mean, if you just look at the matchups, like. Offense and defense. Giannis, he's probably going to guard KD. Then you have P.J. Tucker, like you mentioned. He's probably going to guard Harden. And then you got Drew Holiday on Kyrie. So now it comes down to the rebounding, comes down to the shooting, and it comes down to the role players. And if it comes down to the role players, I'm not saying Middleton's a role player, but I didn't mention him. Give me Middleton, Bryn Forbes, Brooke Lopez, and Bobby Portis over Blake Griffin, Joe Harris, Jeff Green, and Bruce Brown. Just any any time of the day so that, that's because i think those be. guys were able to be fortunate enough to get that confidence of playing against a battered celtics team but i don't know have that how much that confidence is going to be feeling when you're going to have either katie or Kyrie or james harden yelling and screaming at you when you mess up an assignment or when you mess up something because there's going to be a lot of that 
There's oh, gonna yeah. be a lot of that. There's gonna be a lot of that. Because I see expect what that to happen. Built that tough Maybe this is the series where Kyrie goes off on Steve Nash. Oh my god. You're just we are praying for that. You've been praying for that. <laughs> I've been since saying day that one. all season. I've been saying that since day one. I felt like something something crazy was gonna happen. And I feel like the irritant of the Bucks is gonna cause that to come out. A lot of the 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 toxicity that a lot of people have been begging to see might come out depending on how this series is going because let's face facts these guys really haven't faced a whole lot of adversity this entire season i mean granted you could say well they haven't played together that much but like look they haven't faced a whole lot of adversity they haven't had any real body test them touch them and make them feel like whoa we're human yeah (laughs) so this is their first opportunity where it's like if they beat the bucks crown them (laughs) if they beat the bucks i feel like you might as well just crown them because i don't know if anybody can touch them yeah, but I don't. I honestly don't think anyone on the Nets can contain Giannis. I mean, KD. I, 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 Not for it, four quarters. Yeah, that's what Not I'm saying. And then who else are you going Because I'm my thing is, if I was you know doing the matchups, why would you want to put your best player exactly. on the other best player? So but then, have, but then, who else somebody. are you going to put on him? Blake exactly, Griffin's not going to get it no, done. DeAndre Jordan can't. Can Mitchell's Claxton and Jeff Green. He's battling injuries right now, so I think Jeff Green think would be your best bet. They'll try Claxton. They'll, they'll, It'll they'll probably be Claxton and because of his Green. length and, yeah. and and his and his uh his height, and I think you want to save KD guarding Giannis for at least second half, so that way if he's having to expound so much energy, you don't want to like shoot your shot with that in the first half because I think he'll just be way too dang tired to have to go up and down and, and you know have to do it on both ends of the floor. Not to say that he can't. But because he clearly was able to do it with LeBron, but again, you know, granted he was on the Warriors and there really wasn't any other option <laughs> to <laughs> help provide a lot of uh, help for LeBron at that point. But I think with this Bucks team, it's like you said, if you start out with KD, it's going to be uh, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit early, I think. And yeah. depending on how this goes, I think um, the X factor for me is Chris Middleton and Chris Middleton uh plays like the Chris Middleton that I need him to play like I would be kind of nervous if I was the net because if it comes down to crunch time and it's a one point it's, it's a two point game and we haven't even like really talked about who's taking that last shot like because the Nets really haven't been in that situation because I mean you got three guys who can take the last it's gonna shot be KD it should be KD it should, should be. be well should honestly be. I think both all three of these guys are self they're all capable so. they're all exactly capable, but I'm saying like you know it, it could be a situation where it, it could be like that. And whereas with the Bucks, you know, it's probably going to be more so Middleton or, or Drew Holiday. More so or, Middleton, I think. Yeah, because I think Giannis is going to be used as a decoy, so that way he can free one of those guys up. Yeah. For for me, I got two X factors. For the Nets, it's James Harden. I think the offense, it, it mainly runs through him, and he has to show up this series. We've, we've been knocking Agreed. Harden all these Agreed. times, all these Agreed. years with the Rockets. Last series, he had it easy with the Celtics being down two stars, but the Bucks, they're defensive hounds, like we've been mentioning. So I guarantee, I guarantee you that James Harden will be playing the most minutes out of those three guys with KD, Kyrie, and and him, just because Steve Nash trusts him the most, and obviously he has D'Antoni on his side, and D'Antoni's <laughs> been with Harden for more than mm-hmm. half his career, so. He's going to be the guy that when KD and Kyrie go to the bench, Harden's going to run the offense and is going to be able to maintain the aggression with the role players because Harden's the best player on the team and maybe even in the entire league for creating offense for others. So that, that's why Harden's going to, got to be the X factor. And I mean, they could hide his defense, which is and, and allow him to 
work only on the offensive end. Yeah, you can sit in the corner and go PJ Tucker. <laughs> and then for the Bucks, it, it was uh, it was between Middleton or Drew Holiday, but I gotta go with Drew Holiday. This is the exact reason why the Bucks traded for Drew Holiday. They yep. they gave all that draft capital for Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. And if Drew Holiday plays like he did against the Heat last series, the Bucks are in good shape. But the Heat didn't have anyone like Kyrie Irving. Arguably the shiftiest player in the entire league, but Drew is arguably the one of the best on-ball defenders in the league. So that's going to be a matchup to I think, watch. I think you don't start. I, I wouldn't put uh, Drew guarding Kyrie to start the game just because I want Drew to generate offense for me. And that's why we brought him in is because we needed another offensive threat. But I think yes, you got granted, granted, he is a great two-way player, but I don't want him to be dead tired come fourth quarter running around chasing Kyrie and trying to guard Kyrie and trying to, you know, go through the, the dribble, dribble, dribble and one-on-one. So who, who are you going to put on Kyrie then? I would more so look at, uh, you know, somebody like PJ Tucker, to be honest with you. Or, then who's going to be on like Harden? So who's going to be on Harden? <laughs> I, w- I would say, so I would do it like this. I would put uh, Giannis on Katie. I would put Middleton on uh, Harden. And then I would have PJ Tucker guard, uh, uh Kyrie, Kyrie and then and then just have Drew guard whoever's left. So if, if the I, reason like you said the reason they 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 traded to get him is so he can have that we can have that offense because they ran into a wall and they couldn't do nothing with what they had because all they had was a limited uh offensive threat and the heat exposed that. So now you got another offensive threat, another two-way level guy I don't want him dead tired, bro. Because when it's but I think the offense is gonna run. I think the offense is primarily gonna be ran through Giannis because there's nobody on the Nets to stop him. And then the reason why I want Drew Holiday on Kyrie because I want PJ Tucker on Harden and Middleton is your guy who focuses on offense solely. Yeah, because think about: Would you rather have Middleton or Drew Holiday as your primary defender? As my as my primary defender, as your primary defender between those two, forget about the offense. Take the offense out exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And a I team mean, yeah, against yeah. The, the Nets, you you know if they see the ball go into that hoop multiple times, I'm just, <laughs> they're I'm hard just, to stop. Man, I'm just so I'm just so excited because I can't wait to see the chess match that happens. Oh, yeah, like, it's gonna be the matchups chess and match. like all that type of stuff. And because it's it's a lot on the line right now for both of these teams because you know we talk about like the reason that the Nets traded for James Harden is because they were trying to get over the top and have you know and and, and this is exactly why like you said that the bucks traded for drew holiday so we got a lot of different storylines coming into this one but like i said man bucks and seven man and if i'm wrong i'm right there with you i got bucks and six but that's why i think drew holiday he's an underrated offensive player too so i mean if he can frustrate the nets on both sides of the ball i like the bucks chances Let's move on to the Western Conference. We got the Suns versus the Nuggets, number two versus number three seed West faceoff in the West. Jokic and company versus D-Book, CP3 and company. Two teams that honestly play different. They play very different styles of the game. And in the three games this season, game one went to the Suns. They won by three. And then game two and three, the Nuggets won. Uh, the first this game two, they won in single overtime and game three, they won in double overtime. So this series is as, as much as we're talking about the Bucks and the, the Nets. This Suns Nuggets series, it's going to be some must-watch TV. So, what's your prediction for this series? I kept going back and forth on this one initially too, but when I thought about it hard, I'm gonna go with the Nuggets, man. And the only reason I'm gonna say the Nuggets, and it's funny, I'm picking the Nuggets, and I criticize Jokic so much. <laughs> 
But the only reason I'm picking them is because I just feel that in that first round against the Trailblazers, I saw a lot of different guys that I honestly didn't know like they had at their disposal because when they lost Jamal Murray, I felt like, damn, that was such a big loss for them. But it seems like they've been able to get away with losing him with the stepping up of Dude, Michael Porter Pazzo. Jr. Composo yeah. is so underrated. Composo, and then also uh, Morris as well. Monte and, Morris, yes, and the just just the versatility that they have and the the depth that they have. I mean, him if if he's hitting Austin Rivers is another threat that you even got to think about too. So, what is that I'm not shit saying on the Clippers. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying that uh, that's what it boils down to. I think like the biggest X factor for me is that like you said the two styles of play who can impose their will on the other because i think if you're the nuggets you want this game to be slow methodical half court set run pick and roll to death get whoever you maybe want to like try to get pick and roll and try to get maybe chris paul switched on to Jokic because that was the crazy thing that i noticed so many times with the portland trailblazers they would just switch and just put whoever on Jokic. you know i'm like yo it's like Shaq says barbecue chicken every single time so if Jokic gets favorable switches and matchups on him, bro, it's just going to be cook him, cook him, cook him. Because we know DeAndre Ayton had a hell of a series against the Lakers. Now, granted, he did benefit from the fact that AD was not AD and he was playing hurt and injured. And so now you're going to rely heavily on this young cat to be a rim protector, and that's not his game. So I think it's going to be free reign hey, on he, that paint. He, he did a decent job he against did. the Lakers. He did, but I feel like it's going to be free reign on that paint. And if you close down the paint, the Nuggets got shooters, and they will bust a cap on you. So I feel like this is going to be an even, even series. But ultimately, in seven, I will say the Nuggets. Well, we finally have our first disagreement because I got the Suns in seven games. And I think this entire series is on the shoulders of Chris Paul, both literally and figuratively, mm-hmm. because if he yeah. can play 80% of what he's capable of, I like the Suns' chances, honestly. And this is going to be a, a, a the you know a MVP matchup, too, I guess you could say. Like you could you know, say Jokic that. is the regular season MVP, but everybody's been crowning Chris Paul yeah. as the well, real Paul MVP, even, if you Chris will. Chris Paul you know wasn't I mean? even a finalist. I know. Yeah. I know. But, like, you know, his impact on the Suns and the Absolutely. way that he's, you know, led We talked so about far. this, the on-court coach. Oh, yeah. It's so just I a feel difference like maker. This is an MVP sort of battle. And I think if Jokic, again, if he's able to just – prove the doubters wrong and just be able to, you know, silence the hate and silence everybody and show that he's able to, even without his number two option, take this team to that Western conference finals. I'm like, damn, that, that would legit just shut me up. I would have nothing more I can say because I think that would kind of show me that he's the best big man in the league as far as consistency. Cause he's always healthy for the most part. He's always going to guarantee you numbers and unlike MB, and even unlike AD, he's going to be there. Like I said, he's going to be there. He really I doesn't think, suffer injuries like that. Yeah. I think for the Nuggets, there's nobody on the Suns that will be able to guard uh, Jokic. Jokic yeah. There's absolutely nobody. But this is how I think the matchups are going to go. I think Aiton's going to be on Jokic. It's going to kind of be the same that we saw with Nurkic on Jokic. I think Aiton's a little more 
you Finesse. know, agile. Yeah, yeah. So so he could play better defense and then CP3 on whoever the guard is, Composo or Monte Morris. And then Aaron Gordon on Devin Booker. I think Ooh. that's going to be the big matchup because Aaron Gordon, he did a hell of a job on CJ McCollum. Although Booker is better than CJ McCollum, <laughs> I think Aaron Gordon is a very, very underrated defender. And that's the whole reason why they went out and traded for him because losing Jeremy Grant, they saw that gigantic hole. And then they got Aaron Gordon. It's kind of filled that void. But ultimately, I have the Suns winning in seven games just because I feel like their role players are surpass the the Nuggets role players. I mean, you look at guys like Jay Crowder, a guy who was struggling to shoot the three, and they still found a way to win. So if that can happen, then you have Mikhail Bridges. You have Torrey Craig, who's Torrey Craig knows the Nuggets. He played for him two years ago. So Torrey Craig, I I expect Torrey Craig to get some decent amount of minutes in this Mm -hmm. series. Well, I think ultimately it comes down. My two X factors is for the Suns, it's Chris Paul's health. Like I said, I hate, I hate to get, <laughs> oh I hate God. to see CP3 get hurt. Me too. But literally, he's been the difference maker for this team all season long. That's why he's in the MVP conversation. He, we've talked about the on court coach, and he lets people know where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do, and players respond well to him. So, I mean, that on-court coach is a difference maker. So if they have him and he's healthy, then that's a huge plus for the Suns. And then as for the Nuggets, I got to go with Michael Porter Jr. Jokic, mm-hmm. he's going to get his own, but who's going to really help him as that number two? Mm-hmm. So MPJ, he's really got to step up and be that player that everyone thought he was going to be before his back injuries, and that was mini Kevin Durant. And we've seen flashes of it. So, and but he'll definitely have his work cut out for him this series because they're gonna put Mikhail Bridges on him or Jay mm. Crowder. And mm. boy, Mikhail Bridges, I, I already gassed him up when we were talking about our award teams. Mikhail Bridges, dude, this dude's, I think, what, six? I think he's like six, seven, and his wingspan is seven, two. That, that in itself is absolutely absurd to hear. The but Sixers traded him. Yeah, we're, 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 we already talked about it. We're not going to go down that. We're not going down that rabbit hole. But, yeah, hey, I think... Still, hey, hey, they still got Tybal, so I guess that's all right. But, but yeah, I think Michael Michael Porter Jr., He's he's got... And we saw it in game six, in the beginning of that game. He was going off on the Blazers. So, mm. I think this is his series where he really needs to have a coming out party and mm-hmm. show the world that he's more formidable number two option, maybe more than Jamal Murray, Jamal possibly. Murray? <laughs> And he can prove that on a contending team because if he could show out, then which I think he's more than capable of, it's just whether he steps up to the spotlight because I think he definitely has it in him. But it's whether he steps up and he, uh, you know, approaches this series as basically the NBA finals because that's how he's got to approach it and he's got to go off. He's got to average at least 25 this series, in my opinion. All right, that's the last series that are set. And then we got the Jazz versus either the Clippers or the Mavericks. And that's real quick, real quick. If you if depending on whoever it is, like if it's if it's for me, if the Jazz play against I think if you're the Jazz, you want the Mavericks. Absolutely. You, you just you could just focus in on one <laughs> on one person, and that's Luca. Now, now, granted, obviously they do still have shooters and they still like we mentioned, you know, they got Tim Hardaway and you know Finney Smith, et cetera, et cetera. But if you can neutralize Luca, which top defensive team with the, you know, probably defensive player of the year and Rudy Gobert, and, you know, I think the Jazz's problem is, and Draymond said it perfectly, they're so damn focused on that uh, first round exit that they had last year. They are still over here talking about it. I'm like, bro, stop talking about it. Because if you have to meet up against them again, 
I, I I would tip my cap in favor of the Nuggets just for the fact that y'all even still without Jamal about Murray shit. because Jamal Murray was a reason. It was the difference. Yeah, I, I think I think I would for the psychological edge. You got to give it to the Nuggets because they still would be thinking about. I think last year, honestly, I think after this Grizzly series, I think they gotten over it. In my I opinion, hope so. I and hope this so. season, I think they were I on a mission so. and they've kind of proved the doubters wrong. Because after the Lakers losing, I know a lot of people have the Jazz winning it all in the Western I know. Conference. I know, but I think. I, I just want to touch a little bit on the Jazz. I think obviously they want the Mavericks, and but we'll 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 tweet out after Sunday's game. We'll tweet out what our prediction is for the Jazz versus whoever they play. We'll tweet out our predictions for that game. But I just want to touch a little bit on the Jazz. First of all, Donovan Mitchell, mm. <laughs> playing mm. he, he's a beast. He's just an absolute mm. beast. And the Jazz are just playing some of the best basketball I've seen in a long time. Very well coached, well disciplined, very cohesive unit. And looking at Mitchell's averages against the Grizzlies 28 and a half points per game, three rebounds, five in it, 5.8 assists per games, and that's only in 30 minutes playing. Mm-hmm. So he's not even going crazy. And then you have Mike Conley over here who kind of turned back the clock, averaging <laughs> 17 and a half, 8.6 assists per game. And then what this is this is the insane part. He shot 55% from three pointer. That yeah. is the insane part about Mike Conley in that series last year. If he I mean, does last, that the rest of the way, well, then, yeah, they definitely yeah, the, go the, to the Yeah, the finals. Jazz are. But then I think, I mean, those two put up crazy numbers, but I think the one who's been most impressive for me has to be Rudy Gobert in, yeah. in that series. He was going up yeah. against a, one of the strongest big men in Valanciunas, yeah, and he averaged 17.4 points per game, 13 rebounds, and 4.2 blocks. He averaged 4.2 blocks. It was absolutely insane. So Gobert, he stepped up in a big way. But I think whoever wins a series out of the Clippers and the Mavericks, I think they're going to have their work cut out for them round two just because the Jazz are the first team in the Western Conference to move on to the next round, and they're the last team to wait for their opponent, giving them a big rest advantage, and especially with Donovan Mitchell and that ankle we were talking about. He has a lot of rest. So that is a huge, huge upside for the jazz getting that advantage for the jazz getting that uh rest and i'll say this regardless of whether it's the clippers or the mavericks i feel like i have the the jazz winning and moving on to the the western conference finals we'll see because honestly i'm and this could be <laughs> this could be me being biased but i don't think i'm biased i legitimately think the no clippers could you're be- not you're not, you're not, because it could happen. I'm not saying it's not because I it, think I think if Kawhi it's and Paul George, I mean, I on. think if it's the Mavericks, the Jazz win, and that's just because what too much. First of all, first of all, what the Clippers have finally figured out with the Mavericks is kind of honing in on Luka and playing the passing lanes and kind of rotating over. If anything, I think the Jazz are better at doing that because they have guys like Royce O'Neal, Bogdanovich, <laughs> Joe Ingles who can do that. So I think they would do that a better job of what the Clippers are doing. But when it comes to the Clippers versus the Jazz, I think their matchup is a lot favorable. Like, basically against the Mavericks, it made Zubak and Patrick Beverly unplayable right. for, for the Clippers. And those are two big key guys. And then Serge Ibaka has been injured pretty much all series long. So those are three key, key guys in their rotation that aren't really playing. You have to go other ways. But against the Jazz, you're going to put Patrick Beverly on Mike Conley because he's not going to outstrengthen him. And then Zubak against uh, Rudy Gobert, and then you have Serge Ibaka if he comes back from his injury. So I think the Clippers match up a lot better against yeah. the Jazz than mm-hmm. they are right now against the Mavericks. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to get too ahead of myself. We'll see yeah. on Sunday yes. who the Jazz play, yes, and we'll we give will. our predictions. 
Yes, we will. But that's going to wrap up this very, very long NBA <laughs> episode. We appreciate y'all listening. As always, make sure you guys are following us on our social media on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. On Instagram, the nosebleeds. And on Facebook, search up the nosebleeds podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we're on that. If you like what you're hearing, shoot us that five-star rating. It really helps us out. Write a review if you're feeling generous. Corey, any last words, my man, before the second round starts? I'm going to say it right here, right now. The winner of the Nets-Bucks series is winning the finals. <laughs> All right, there you have it. I don't even think, hold on, before we even end this, just quick, just give me the one team, Mavericks or Clippers, because I don't think we went over it. I'm going to say Clippers, Clippers. I'm confident, right. man. I'm going to say Clippers. I got Clippers, too. Let's hope. Fingers crossed because I want to see the Jazz versus the Clippers. Me too. But that's going to wrap it up. We'll catch y'all later. Deuces.